With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie cutter Comic Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right, this August 17th through the 19th at the all-new Giant Size Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic Con action only in Connecticut at Terrific Con. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificcon.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. It's time for another edition of the King's Speech. Tom King, a great Q&A. I've uh, involved the Word Balloon uh, Legion of Word Balloon listeners uh, to ask some questions, and we all talk about the fallout from Batman number 50. Holy cow. From the uh, New York Times... Uh, Spoiling to uh, the amazing final page and panel that uh, opens up a new bunch of questions. Yeah, he got jilted at the altar. Cat- Catwoman uh, didn't make it. And uh, obviously he's upset. But uh, what about that group of uh, characters that are surrounding Bane? Joker, Riddler, the Ventriloquist, Hugo Strange, Thomas Wayne, Flashpoint Batman. What the hell? Holly. Man, Skeets. Good Lord. Have I missed anybody? I don't have the picture in front of me. Fill in the rest if I did. But uh, it's a great conversation. Uh, We talk about uh, picking up the pieces of Batman's jolted heart. And uh, we think about some of the clues that maybe we missed as Bane gathers this strange anti-Bat family to torture the Cape Crusader. Uh, We also talk a lot about uh, the Walmart-exclusive Superman story that he's going to be doing with Adam Kubert. Lots of details on that. The very interesting Heroes in Crisis that starts this fall with Clay Mann. Of course, Mr. Miracle, which continues to be an amazing comic with Mitch Garretts. Uh, You know, a a lot of these guys also do wonderful work with uh, Tom on the Batman books. He talks about his collaborations with his various artists. And also artist-writer Joelle Jones, who's just got its thing started with Catwoman and how their stories dovetail. So lots of information on current, past, and future projects. We also get into just great comic book encounters he's had. We, of course, acknowledge the passing of a comic legend, uh, the great Steve Ditko, a little more Harlan Ellison talk as well, and uh, lots of other stuff. It's a really fun, long King's speech with Tom King on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Again, thank you, League, for your support. Uh, You keep the lights on here at Word Balloon with your subscriptions to Word Balloon via Patreon. Greatly appreciated. If you like what's happening at Word Balloon, the type of dialogue that I have with these very interesting uh, creators of comics, uh, I am very happy to keep this uh, thing going. 
and uh, it's done as well with the support of the League of Word Balloon listeners via Patreon. If you want to support the show and subscribe to Word Balloon, do you think it's worth the price of a comic each month? Is it worth a dollar a month? Uh, you can go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad there, or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. But thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And we may as well just uh, take a look at uh, what's available under the Tom King uh, logo at InStockTrades.com. Six years of Tom King product is available at InStockTrades.com. You can get uh, Volume 1 of The Sheriff of Babylon. Bang, bang, bang. Uh, him and Mitch Garrett's, uh, it is 42% off, $8.69. Go back and uh, get one of Tom's first great DC Universe successes, Omega Men, The End is Here. Wonderful book. Again, something we talk about in the conversation. 42% off. It's just $14.49. You can get uh, The Vision, Volume 1 or Volume 2. Man, this is such a great book. Uh, volume 1 is called Little Worse Than Man, and it's 42% off, $10.43. Same price for Volume 2, Little Better Than Beast, and that's your full collection there, another $10.43. Lots of volumes of Grayson, Spirals, and Volume 5. Tom uh, doing the solo writing on this uh, wrap-up. Mike, uh, Michael Janine among uh, his uh, collaborators. It collects uh, issues 17 through 20 and annual number 3. And it is 42% off $9.85. You can start things off with I Am Gotham, the start of uh, his uh, current Batman run. It is 42% off $9.85. Just some of the great Tom King product waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Great books, great prices. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. We'll tell you some more deals that are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Okay, let's get things started with our wonderful conversation, a new one with Tom King, a great Q&A, and I think you're going to enjoy it. The King's Speech, the latest edition, now on Word Balloon. Tom King, welcome back to Word Balloon. I don't know why your your, your name has been on my brain lately. I, I was just talking about you with somebody. Yes, with multiple people, and you're ruining my podcasts because you're talking about me, and I dislike it. Do you so really? I'm just... <laughs> I've come on to complain and whine and tell you to shut it down. No, no. We we said nice things. What are you talking about? I've been listening to the Bendis tapes, I think, since I was, like, in Afghanistan. I've <laughs> That's great, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, and, yeah, they're my favorite things. I used to listen to it. It was my drive-home thing when I was in CIA days. Like, after a tough day, it was Bendis tapes on the podcast. And I tune in. The latest Bendis tapes, I can hear him. I was going to talk about this somebody I was at. It was going to be great. And like 10 minutes in, it's like, Tom King this, Tom King that. And I'm like, oh, I was like, no one ever wants to hear anyone talk about them ever. I don't, at least. Oh, I always get delighted when their podcasts bring me up, whether it's positive or negative. It's like, really? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I just I just assume people are lying through their teeth or if they're telling the truth, it's going to be awful. Those are the two options that come. To, that's my neurotic head there. I do understand. Well, you but you did as we here. Let's start off and say, nice going on, Seth Myers. That was hey man, that's not easy. That is not easy, and you did good. <laughs> I was I was so excited about because I come off and my wife is like, great job, and uh, you know uh, Clay Mann was there with me, and he's like, great nice. job, and DCPR was like, great job, and and uh, then I get a text from uh, one of my best friends. 
who's probably listening to this and he's and he his his literal text was was like uh your fake friends will tell you you did great and then talk bad behind your back your real friends will tell you you look nervous and like you had some sort of chiropractic problem (laughs) 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 i was was like oh everyone says i'm good this is why i don't want to hear about myself So I think that's what I was listening for when Bendis came on, that he'd be, be like, hey, you've heard of Tom King? Oh, yes, I saw him on the show. He, he would look nervous and like he had chiropractic problems. Chiropractic, is that a word? I'm a professional writer. Did I mention that? I, I think chiropractic problems would be the correct description of why you go to a chiropractor. Back there you go. Days, obviously. There you go. We nailed it. I would say so, sure. I'm yeah. going with that. We're going with that. We should have Vince as superhero, the, the chiropractor. It sounds let's, like a student. Let's consult Dr. Midnight. He would know. Dr. Midnight, is Dr. Midnight still alive in the D.C.? I guess you know, I know I, that. I don't know. We're, I guess that's yet to be determined when the Justice Society finally returns. I do miss those old days when it was like whenever anyone had any doctor problem at all, it was like Dr. Midnight would show up. He was the busiest doctor uh, in the entire D.C.U. Be like, any problem, he was the utter specialist in all areas. I Absolutely. And uh, Meltzer, I think, used the female Dr. Midnight in um, Identity Crisis. Oh, Yeah. That's true. To find um, what at first was thought to be the, the Adams, uh, spoilers, uh, <laughs> footprints on uh, Sue Dibney's brain. <laughs> spoilers. Are, that's got to be 13 years ago or something. I think it is like that. Yeah, I think you're right. I did I did podcast with Brad and DiDio about Identity Crisis because I felt that they were being unfairly maligned because they chose rape as a story uh, plot point. And I'm like, well... It's, I mean, that's kind of the point, is it is a horrific crime, and it is supposed to, like, upset you. So, and, and we read upsetting stories. I mean, if you didn't feel that way, then we wouldn't get things like Silence of the Lambs and other disturbing things that normally I don't like to read. Or Robert Christ, if you will, or uh, some of the others that are really a little too, too harsh, too harsh. Yeah, there are things I, I wouldn't, that are in there that I wouldn't personally put in a story but I, I, I like it overall. Brad, Brad Meltzer ch- just changed my life more than a few times. I mean, I've told the story how him me on this podcast inspired me to quit the CIA. But uh, more recently, he called me when I sort of had to make the decision of going to DC and Marvel. And I was kind of going back and forth. And he's like, you got to go to DC. And I said, why? And he's like, because of Dan DiDio. I was like, Dan DiDio? Because I hadn't sort of. I didn't know Dan very well. I'd mm-hmm. always served out with lower editors. Now I'm, I'm, I'm close friends with him. But um, I was like, Dan, everyone hates Dan. He's kind of like this, you know, they always blame me. For He's like, no, no, no. Dan loves comics. He loves the creators of comics. He takes care of people and he keeps his word. And I was like, oh, that's, everyone just says that about anyone. But that, and, but I, was, but I sort of took Brad, because he's, Brad Meltzer, when he talks, you just believe him. He's one of those kind of guys. Yeah, you don't have to tell me. I, uh, he's, uh, he's a good acquaintance and is, done many solids for me and and he's one of my favorite people yeah and he's and he's he's got the, he's got a, a lawyer's conviction and convincing abilities and uh and and he was a hundred percent right but sort of dan has the worst or had and he had, not as much anymore but he had the worst reputation of sort of being creator unfriendly and sort of getting into everyone's way and 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 sort of hating the characters and, and loving sales. And, and the actual opposite is true in actually experiencing who he is as a character and as a person. He loves DC Comics. He loves these characters. And, and more importantly, he takes care of creators. He gives um, he gives the older creators gigs that they would not normally get. He, he makes sure they get health care. He makes sure they get taken care of. 
Uh, I saw Len Wein in his final days. Dan was taking care of him and, and making sure he, he has steady stream. He takes care of all the old, the old guys that you really care about. Like the Dio is behind making sure those guys can, you know, buy food. And, uh, and so he was totally right about that. And, and, and I think that's my success in DC is sort of, uh, again, been uh, following Dan, so following Melter's advice. So that's cool. Advice for life. No, that's cool, man. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that, uh, yeah, beyond uh, him taking care of you, that like you said, he's taking care of some of the older creators and stuff. That's that's a very good point. Well, well tell me two years in. Let's start with some of the essay questions first. Like, uh, is it two years for Rebirth? Yeah, yes. Cause yeah, it does. Because we're at one and we're at fifty. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that makes sense. All right. Yeah, I can go. do that. I'm halfway so, through. It's going to be a so, four-year run. I'm well, two years in. Well, and again, talking to people like Brian and also the things they've announced this year, it does sound like um, DC is spreading into more platforms than ever before and being more ambitious from uh, what they publish and, and how they present it. Yeah, they're doing this sort of, which I think is the right thing to do, which is this sort of, create, oh, it sounds horrible when you say it, but sort of a cradle-to-the-grave strategy where it's like, and I, I have children. I have I have three young. They're four. Three young children who aren't as young as they used to be, but they're four, eight, and nine now. And the idea is sort of there are little books for kids that are drawn by Jose Garcia Lopez, and you can read those when you're little. And then when you're four, there's books for four year olds. And when you're seven, there's books for seven year olds. And when you're nine, ten, and when you're twelve and thirteen, you start to get to the DCU, which is what I write. And then if you get to, you know, if you're in your 20s you want to read more uh mature contained stories then there's stuff for then there's that stuff and having a label for each sort of one so it's the idea that sort of there's a book for everyone out there and there's a book for every age and i think that's the right strategy I think that makes sense to me Excellent. as long as as because i keep getting people saying do you want to write for young readers do you want to write for black label and, sure. and uh because that, that seems like something that, that would appeal to me because I love self-contained stories, I love miniseries, but to me the the best part about comics is this continuing story that it's unfolded for eighty years, and th- as long as that's the heart of DC, and I think it's going to remain the heart of DC, the DCU, and that 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 story, that soap opera, that whatever you want to call it, that links uh, Action Comics one to Batman fifty one. Like I feel like contributing to that is the most important thing you can do, or at least the most fun thing you can do. So I want to keep, I want to keep doing that. I think that makes the stories better somehow. Cool. All right, that's awesome. Let's let's uh, talk about where we are at Batman right now. Obviously, uh, as you say, fifty-one out next Wednesday. Um, we'll we'll drop this on a Friday before that, so people have uh, plenty of time to get uh, get caught up, and we'll get into. The uh, the photograph or the final the final page of fifty as well in a second, but yeah, what can well should we start? Well, should we start? Obviously, I suppose we should go chronologically. Um, everyone obviously had a great sympathy for you when the New York Times spoiled what, what we <laughs> thought was you know the big moment of of the book, and um, well, you know, hey man, nobody likes that. And 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 I again, this is me saying this because I said it uh, the same thing to Bendis. I found it obviously totally unnecessary. They could have just said, Batman and Catwoman at the altar, what's going to happen? Find out Find out Wednesday. And I'm sure that would pique a lot of people's interest. When you give them the, when you find out Rosebud's, the, this was kind of a Rosebud's the sled. Not the point of the story necessarily. And it's funny because I remember you too 
telling me in the last time we spoke, because I'm like, and not that I'm any fucking genius, please, but I'm like, something's got to happen. You can't, this, come on, come on. And that's when you said, and you've been, you've said it many times in various articles and podcasts that uh, it's only the halfway point. That's, you know, you've got, this is a hundred issue story. So let's start with the the New York Times thing. You know, obviously frustrating, or were you like, well, they don't know the, they don't know the secret bomb still. So, so when I started in publishing, so five, six years ago, you know, I come from, I did this whole CIA thing where you're supposed to be as anonymous as you are. Okay. Uh, and then I, the one thing I, I did a book for Simon Schuster and they didn't do very much promotion. One thing they did was they hooked me up with a PR consultant who was a, uh, like a psychologist woman on the phone who was going to teach me how to pitch my book. Okay. And this is for once a crowded sky. I'm it's for once crowded sky back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, just pitch me your book. Tell me what it's about. And I was like, well, it's sort of my attempt to bridge the gap between comics and prose as a way of sort of talking about uh, bridging the gap between story and reality. And I, I don't know if it succeeds in doing that, but that's what it's trying to do. And I was completely honest in, in sort of my response. And, and I got, I was like, Tom, you sound like such a sweet guy. You're so honest. You're, you're ambitious. Uh, but you, you, you know that there's a limit to ambition. And I was like, oh, thanks. And she goes, never fucking do that again. <laughs> She's like, you love your story. Your story is a huge success. It is exactly what you wanted it to be. And everything is going great. You say that again and a fucking again. You always have confidence in what you wrote and what happened is what you wanted to happen. I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, so what I should say in response to your very nice question is, you know what? What happened had to have happened, and I'm so happy it all happened the way it did because lots of people read the issue, and, man, I am excited to keep going forward, and I can't wait for the audience to go on this journey with me. Like, that is totally the answer I should give. But it's such not the fucking truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was yeah no I was flabbergastedly horrifiedly uh frustrated and frustrated for the audience uh, uh frustrated for uh my just I mean to to take uh to have it I don't even know where to start with because because I can't obviously comment on some things but just to, because some things are just too close to the bone but the idea that a major paper would get a story or get a preview of an issue and decide to tell you the exact end of it and put it in the cover title of the thing, which they then tweet out to all their followers. And then not only did they tweet it out to all their followers, they messaged that title to everyone who subscribed to their message. So I had people calling me and be like, I was spoiled when it popped up on my iPhone. (laughs) You know, it came out as an alert. The New York times sent an alert to some, you know, 20 million phones. This is the end of Batman 50. Um, and I, that is just, and it was a story that I had, I had, I knew people would be upset. I mean, I, and I and I didn't want people. You never want people to be upset in your stories. It's just it's not a comfortable feeling. Sure. I want to make, especially Batman. I write other stories to make people sad. I write Batman to make people happy. Uh, and but to make some, but to write stories, there are moments of where your 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 characters suffer, right? Sure, like of course. If you're you're watching um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and when the Nazis 
uh, grab the cove- covenant, you're, you're like, oh, oh, no. You know, like you suffer. You're like, why did why did they leave India in the snakes? You know, you have frustration. I mean, <laughs> or when Marion, he thinks Marion is dead. Yeah, he, he thinks Marion is dead. Yeah. yeah, he seems sad. Or uh, and then and the idea there is, as as a writer, your idea, your job at some points, not all points, but part of your job is to put your your viewers or your readers or whoever inside the heads of your character, right? Like writing is an empathy machine. It's it, you're, you're trying. I'm trying to make my audience feel what my characters feel, right? Yeah, of course. So I, I knew my character. I, or I was hope. I mean, knew with with a, with a degree of hope that they would feel the same frustration that Batman would feel. Batman thought he was getting married. He thought he was going to that wedding. Sorry, this is spoilers for Batman Fifty, which if, <laughs> if you didn't get a, didn't get an alert on your phone, now I'm just bad at New York Times. But but. Like he he believed in his heart of hearts that he was getting married and he didn't get married and so he, the the way the audience felt that that frustration that horror is what Batman feels I'm put it's you're in the so and I hate the fact that you that we have to sort of feel that but that's how character growth happens when you feel the pain of your character absolutely uh, and but the issue was written specifically knowing that pain was coming so that the whole issue was a celebration. Of that love, if you actually read the issue, it's a celebration of their love, and it's a, and, and, and an emphasis on why they love each other and how they will always sort of love each other. And it's one of those things where they don't get together at the end, but you see there is hope that they possibly could get together. Like the, there, there was there was momentum in the issue that sort of said to you that here are two soulmates that will eventually. They, they can never fall apart that far because their souls are connected, sort of. There's a string that connects them that can't be broken. And that was the point of the issue. And if you read the issue, hopefully, I mean, if you didn't get that, that's my fault. But that's what I tried to do. Understood. If you read a New York Times article, none of that shit's in there. <laughs> none of that shit's in an alert that shows up on your phone. It's not like Batman and Catwoman don't get married, but there's still a love and there's a soul string that bonds them. And perhaps someday, you know, like none of that or or so so the reaction it was as if people got punched in the face by this and they didn't and and, and it was t- and, and then i just got and you 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 sound like an idiot because you should just be able to ignore it but it's hard to ignore i just got waves of like the worst um because people's hearts got broken and so they were angry and we live in a time of such um heartbreak like we live in this heartbreak time sure. where it just feels like Every day, some some new hope is destroyed, and so I gave heartbreaking pe- heartbroken people another heartbreak. So they rightfully had anger, and they they rightfully had these strong emotions, and they threw them as hard as they could at me. And so you just like you turn on your phone and just like, oh my god, I am the world's worst person. You just and you and and, and like you know, ten percent of it is death threats and all that stuff that you could complain about for real. And th- yeah, I mean, um, I. <laughs> I'll, I'll do some dramatic reading for you sometime. Some of okay. some of my I took photo shots of them there. Uh, there, yeah. Anyways, but but those don't bother you that much because you're kind of like okay, that's kind of someone just jumping on board a train or you know someone who's not sort of in their exact right state of mind. You know, it's it's the ones where it's like Tom, I've been reading for 49 issues and you broke my heart, and you're like, oh, I love you for reading for 49 issues. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like you feel their pain and you just want to reach out and be like, I, 
this is a hundred issue arc. We're halfway through. Just you're going to feel pain in the middle, but by the end, maybe you won't, you know, that's how sort of narrative works, but uh, it's, it's hard. Um, yeah, I have, I have every, I have every sympathy for every person and I have no sympathy for the fucking New York times who I love and hope they write about my comics wonderfully in the, in the future. (laughs) Well, I got to grab the issue. Hang on one second. Shame on me. I didn't have it with me when we started this. So so hold on one second because it's right. It's, Several steps away. Hold on. How dare you? Glad to vamp now. Hello out there, DC Comics fans. Uh, thank you so much for reading my comics. Um, try to read more of them if you can. Am I still vamping? Should I tell a joke? Here's my. Uh, oh, I. What, what, what joke should I tell? My, my, my son told this joke at his stand up routine. Um, what did you. Did you hear what my grandpa said before he kicked the bucket? Hey! How far can I kick this bucket? That's, that was his opening joke at his stand-up routine. He's not. I like it. It's like Tom's leaving me, obviously, a secret message that I'm going to get now that I've uh, come back because I heard you talking. Little did you know. <laughs> Fraction did that to me once, which was very funny. <laughs> on, on an early work one episode, he kept talking, so it's good. I uh, No, and I, like I said, shame on me. I also wanted to turn off my dryer. If people heard my dryer in the background, I do apologize. Let me do a dramatic reading of these of these tweets. Sure. Tom Tom King TK. My name, and my initials. If you don't follow me on Twitter, hope you'll get fired for that stupid asshole. <laughs> Have no idea who you really are, gay or straight, but hope karma will get you as soon as possible for breaking the fans' hearts, and you'll get divorced with your beloved, or suicide yourself. That'll be a pretty nice move. Wow. Tom King, you suck, and wish you dead. Batman and Catwoman should have gotten married, you moron. <laughs> and it was, it was days of this. I got three kids. Oh, you hugged them hard. Um, yeah, so it was... Jeez, man. How dare you exploit Bruce and Bruce, Selena and Bruce's wedding like that only to cancel it, you fucking rats. We are fucking coming for your demented head. Just wait for it, you son of a bitch. I don't know. I saved them just because they were. But those ones don't bother. Those ones. I mean, that's what it is. Whatever people have. No, you're. Yeah. Well, again, I feel guilty just reading them. Yeah. Like a... I'm complaining. It's. I mean, that's part of the job. I get. I get. I do. I literally have the best job in the world. It's the job I've always wanted, and I get paid very well to do it. And I have absolutely nothing to complain about. That's part of the job. So. It, it is what happens. Well, it's just uh, reflective of, uh, again, uh, people judging a story before it's finished. And, of course, uh, instead, thankfully, like I said, the, the great thing is you had that final epilogue of Holly going back to Arkham and uh, kneeling before Bane. And uh, we had no idea that this really was a 100-chapter uh, story. because, uh, And I'm looking at that uh, photo right now or the final, the final panel. Yes. And so we've got Riddler and uh, Joker standing next to each other, the psycho pirate right there, Bane on a throne of skulls, which you always got to appreciate the throne of skulls. <laughs> in the in the basement of Arkham. Absolutely. Gotham Girl. Gotham Girl. The, ven- the, the Ventriloquist. Uh, F- Flashpoint Batman? Thomas Wayne as Batman? Is that is that definite or is that speculation? No, that's, that's Thomas Wayne as Batman. That's Flashpoint Batman. And Hugo yeah. Strange. Who's always who's always got you know you, you, you're not it's not surprising to see Hugo uh, and Skeets and, and Skeets Ske- yes and Skeets on the floor shame on me yes or Skeets yes and uh, no that's great uh, that's very exciting because yeah all of a sudden all of these 
uh, former arcs uh, that you that have been leading up to the wedding take another greater importance. And I know uh, I think it was Alex Chung. I want to look on uh, Twitter and make sure that I've got the right person that's asking. Obviously, do we should we go back and uh, reread? You know some some of these uh, some of these arcs are there are there uh, hidden hidden moments that if we look I I noticed one in the final chapter of uh, the Booster Gold story when Skeets kind of reboots and there's kind of a stuttering B happening there. Yes, uh, I mean this has been this has been the plan since issue one that this was sort of all one. I mean the whole thing. I write miniseries, right? I write twelve issue miniseries. Is my favorite thing. So when I started Batman, I was like, what if I look at this instead of as a hundred issues where sort of one thing follows another as a 12 issue miniseries that sort of, so this is all sort of one story and 50 was the big reveal who the bad guy is the big bad behind the whole thing. And it's Bane. Right. And so, yeah, so we've been sort of leading up to that, that this is a Bane versus Batman story for a hundred issues. That's going to be sort of the driving theme of the, there are two driving themes. I'm such a simple writer. I only write sort of little simple things and there are two driving themes of the whole thing. And that's Catwoman and Batman and their love and Bane and Batman and their hate. It's, it's contrasting those two just simple concepts. It's the driving engine of all 100 issues from issue one to issue 103, which is where I'm going to end the whole series. Very cool. So, yeah, and all those – and you'll, you'll see how – and there's a lot of the questions that have been asking are sort of part I – and mean, people have been asking the right questions. They're like, who, who created the Gothams? How did they get their powers? That's a great question. That's part of the Bane mystery. Uh, why did Bane – Bane got beat so easy. He got beaten by a headbutt. That's how, and people go like, why? That's, that's such an easy way to, to get beaten. Why did Bane get beaten? I was like, ah, that's a good question. That was on purpose. That's part of this Bane mystery. Uh, so yeah, all of that, all of that plays in and, and, um, and the Thomas Wayne stuff is so cool. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all coming together. Uh, certainly you, you question his motivation. Skeets has been evil before. Um, <laughs> everyone, well, and of course the mystery behind Gotham girl. And you've got to wonder exactly when did that story actually start? Obviously, there's a story before uh, I Am Gotham uh, that is yet to be told. That's a supposition on my part. Right. Yeah, how she got her powers. And then I gave people hints in issue five, I think, of Batman. There's sort of a flash forward just happens in the captions. And and that's part of the plan. If people want to look at that, go back and look. And uh, but the one I thought was going to give it away was uh, I, I did this arc where Joker sort of knows about the wedding and, and tries to interrupt it, and you yeah, see the sort best of man. yeah, yeah, and, and he gives the reason to Catwoman of why she eventually sort of stops doing it. This idea that uh, that if Batman is happy, if he's content, uh, he can't be Batman. Sure, and that comes from Joker, and, and people are like, well, who told who told Joker that they were getting married? And I and I and I was, I was I was like, how do I? And it was in the free issue. If you look back in the DC Nation number zero, yes. Joker says a banana told me. So that's Bane, a banana. That was my, I thought it was oh so obvious people were going to know, but nobody noticed. Oh, that's really interesting, and perhaps yeah. answers Lord Retail's question. If you can say of issues one through forty nine of Batman, what storyline hold, holds the most overlooked detail? Which arc to date has the thing that Tom is surprised no one ever mentions? Yeah, I like I like the the banana one. I think the the idea that Bane was beaten with the headbutt. Um, there have been some big sort of big, big sort of moments, yeah, that have hinted at things. Well, again, um, I guess we're gonna have to, uh, yeah, you know, everyone's gonna have to pull back their uh, forty nine issues or several uh, trades and kind of uh, retrace uh, the steps and see if we can find other things. Like I said, that was my my telling thing that I'm sure will be further expanded is 
Skeet's uh, rebooting and uh, stuttering. The idea from the beginning is is how do you break Batman, right? That was Bane's sort of quest. Mm -hmm. He's been on this quest since 1996 or whatever it was. And I love, man, I love those original Chuck Dixon Bane issues. They're so good. Yeah. Uh, and I, I credit to Andy Corey, an editor of mine, who said, go back and read those. They're brilliant. And he was 100% right. And uh, how do you break Batman? Breaking him physically never works. He gets broken physically a thousand times. Even killing a Robin, all his Robins have died, you know? Or it's like, like how, <laughs> yeah. how, 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 as a villain, how do you break this person? And, and this idea that the, the way to break him is to make him happy to, to to do what I've been talking about this whole time, which was what happens if Batman gets happiness and then to sort of yank that away from him. And it was, was I, like, how do you break Batman? You break his heart was the answer that Bane came up with. And so the bat is broken is sort of his last line. Like, like he, it, when, when Batman's standing there and Catwoman doesn't show up, the bat is broken. And, uh, and, and, and can Batman repair himself and can he repair himself in time to fight Bane? And to sort of maybe even try to repair his relationship to Catelyn. That's what the next 50 issues are about. Excellent. And I guess we're going to learn more of the Psycho Pirate and, and certainly Thomas Wayne's motivations. The the ventriloquist motivations, I'm assuming, as well. Oh, yeah. All those people play a role. I mean, there's a whole big everything planned, you know. As we, we get up to 75, it's going to be a big thing. And then we get to under, it's going to be a big thing. So, yeah, everyone's motivations and how they sort of come together and form this sort of evil version of the bat family will be working together yeah so it's it's gonna be i wish i could talk about it all but it's i like it it's super cool no that's great hey man and again uh great job great job on the first 50 issues again i think you 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 fooled us into thinking they were kind of separate stories although you know again uh you know the war of jokes and riddles is is you know explained how bruce reached a point where he could trust selena to to you know express this this great regret of this case and everything and i i thought that was a good uh you know a, another faction leading into their level of intimacy and and trust of each other yeah i mean i try to do that it's it's oh sometimes it can be so frustrating like i did this booster gold arc which was all about sort of booster doing it was a sort of a warped version of it's a wonderful life where boost where booster tries to it tries to it's it's a wonderful life as a verb it's a wonderful life batman be like guess what your life is actually pretty good if it went the other way it'd be much worse and then batman's like but i like the worst version better (laughs) sure um that was my pitch i was like what if what if jimmy stewart loves pottersville he's like man i fucking you can drink at the bar here it's it's awesome (laughs) i don't have to marry that stupid librarian um (laughs) and i love how crazy booster looked at the end too and, yeah, and also, well, I mean, both how shaggy he was, and then truly, you give him that great Lady Macbeth moment where he can't get the blood out of his costume. Yeah, well, it was one of those good things where two things collided at once, because the point of that arc was, of course, now people can see in, hopefully in retrospect, that we were showing that if, if, if Bruce were made happy, if there was something he cared about more than he cared about the war on crime, he couldn't be Batman. Which I know sounds ridiculous, like, oh, someone can't be happy and be Batman. But you and I are normal people who try to do good in life. But we don't go out in a costume and and fight people um, because we can't risk our lives in that way, you know? Like, we don't – there's something about Batman that he is driven in a way that we're not driven, where to him there's nothing comes above the mission, 
and then Catwoman says that that she's she, she, that's her development that she's sort of in the beginning she thinks she she'll she'll be still beneath the mission she says that in um, the desert arc uh, and, and the, the idea of of Bruce and it's the, in the I am suicide arc he says this like I I'm dead I, I don't have a life I have no will the only thing I care about is my war on crime and, and fulfilling that vow when I was 12 years old and that's why I'm Batman nothing comes above that. And the idea of, of, of why being happy would interfere with that is because the idea of, okay, if I put something above that, if my love for Catwoman is more than that, then I can't go out and sort of make that sacrifice every night. Just like you and I decide not to go out and, be, and, and, and risk our lives and jump off of buildings because we have things we love in our lives, like our wife and my kids. You know? sure. So I, I, I think it's, it's the most human decision we make not to be uh, and it comes from a personal place of sort of why I left CIA, where sort of like I didn't want to live a life of danger because I had a wife and kids. You know, I, I I'm not I'm not a subtle writer. I just write by myself. Uh, so it, that was the idea. So that was the idea behind that that booster arc. And, but everyone's like, what the fuck is this booster arc doing in the middle of this wedding? Like we're, we're heading up to so I was like, no. And then, but I thought I was spelling it out way too much. I was like, everyone's gonna see it. I'm I'm putting it right there that if Batman's happy, he can't be Batman. They, they'll they'll see it, but. Nobody saw it. So it's stuff like that that I hope people go back and see that sort of this is the big plan. Very cool. Yeah, man. No, I, I again, like you said, and I think uh, something Rucka has said as well, he does, Batman does this every night knowing that he'll fail because there's always going to be some crime that he's not going to be able to stop that night. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny you say that. I'm thinking about talk, but, um, I know some Batman writers who are focusing on that now on some upcoming projects, that exact thing. And it's going to be cool. But yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, the idea of it's this sort of Kierkegaardian, uh, sorry, that sounds so fucking pretentious, but uh, I mean, I, I, the idea that if you have a goal and I, I, I sincerely believe it and you're willing to sacrifice everything you want to achieve that goal, then almost any goal can be achieved. But those sacrifices are, cost you you know and, and batman his one goal and he's willing to make sacrifices to his body and to his family and to everything to achieve that goal is this war on crime um and it's, it's almost an existential dilemma where his life is not as important as that war no one's life is as important as that war as that vow and if you take that away from him and say that's not that's not your ultimate goal then what is batman's power what is his power what makes him able to stand next to superman and wonder woman even though he has nothing except a leather costume and a battering is the fact that he has willpower that's his one power is that he has willpower and if 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 he doesn't have that drive then he might not be as good a batman maybe at least i mean i'm not saying that's right but i think that's the perception that catwoman has at this point i'm nodding i get it um, Sweet. I'm, I'm also as a long lecture. No, that was good. On, no, that was very good. I'm also scanning questions that I'm seeing on Twitter right now. Uh, is is there some end game he's building up to? This is uh, Michael Kakala. Is there some end game you're building up to with Kite Man, or was his role in War of Jokes the zenith of Kite Manery? I think I've already announced it, but if I haven't, so I'm, I'm doing 103 issues because I wanted to do a hundred issue run. And stupid Steve Orlando, that slacker, uh, wrote two of my issues for the uh, uh, Monsters arc. And uh, Josh Williamson, that other slacker, wrote one of my issues for Button. Mm-hmm. And I co-wrote them, so I was kind of I, I co-plotted them, but they, they did most of the work and made them good. They're very good issues. Um, so I'm I'm doing 103 issues just so I have 100 of my own issues. So, but the actual sort of story will end in 100, and then we'll have sort of three issues to do a coda. Uh, 
the artists have already, Mikkel is going to draw 100. He drew the Rebirth number ones or the one that came before. He drew 50 and he'll draw 100. Cool. So Mikkel will be with me for the whole run um, because he's the best and nicest and he's just awesome. And he makes a beautiful Batman. And then 100 to 103 will be sort of coda issues. And 103, the last issue, will be uh, uh, Batman and Kiteman having a beer in a bar, like that old thing, Sandman issue. 100%. If I'm still alive, if I don't get hit by a car, if you blessed people keep buying my comic, thank you for keeping buying it. Uh, 103 will be the two of them uh, just having a beer and discussing what the fuck just happened for 132. That's awesome. That's very Elmer Fudd, Batman. That's good. I like that. Yeah, it'll it'll be just it'll be just two two dudes having a beer, and I got I got to talk someone into into drawing that because it sounds really boring. Uh, Kevin McGuire. Kevin McGuire. No, it's got to be one of the sort of oh one of your bad people. One of one of one of the people who's sort of done, been on this journey with me. Um, hope so. Probably it'll be Clay or Mitch, just because I give them the worst stuff to draw, and <laughs> and they're, they're they're like my good friends. So they don't complain as much. They're actually. So, uh, yeah, probably one of those poor, poor guys. All right. Speaking of uh, your collaborators, Joe Johnson asks, do you make it a habit of developing strong relationships with your fellow creative team members on your books in real life? It's, you seem very chummy with them on social media. Does that carry over? It, it's, I mean, it's different for everyone. I, I hate to say it depends, but I'll give you specific examples instead of just saying it depends. Uh I did a comic book called Omega Man, with, which I'm super proud of, with, with Barnaby Begenda, who drew it beautifully, and 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 each issue had to be so exact because it was a nine panel. It was this reflective where each issue reflected itself, and then the whole the first six issues, the, the panel structure reflected the last six issues in the panel structure, so it all looked like an Omega shape, which is a reflective figure if you think about it. Awesome. That is that is way in the weeds, but. So that's a very complicated relationship for a writer and artist to have to figure that out. I have never in my life spoken to Barnaby Beganda. I have never emailed with him. He has an agent. I just wrote scripts and sent them off. He's in Indonesia, and he drew them beautifully and perfectly. I think after it was all over, I texted him to be like, can I buy some art from you? <laughs> that was like the first time I ever communicated with him directly. So sometimes, you, even though like that seems like it would take such a close collaboration, Gabriel Walta, the most bestest artist i love gabriel walta who did vision with me mm -hmm. uh we didn't know each other at all he's he's, he's um he's in spain we, we met one time at a comic-con hung out for an hour we were like immediately brothers we had so much in common but that was basically it that was just one one time mikhail janine who i have been working with for four or five years since grayson won and we just did you know the best-selling uh, comic of the year together i've i've talked to him in person one time in those four years because <laughs> he doesn't do conventions mikhail he's from spain so i never see him did did, uh, did mikhail also do the swamp thing issue am i remembering that correctly no that was mitch that was mitch okay well yeah, i love that, that one too and mitch is so, mitch and his mighty beard absolutely so that's one side of the spectrum so those are and I'm, we work closely together we have a common vision but we just don't we're not in the same place at the same time, and I, and, and they're my brothers, and we we sort of. But then, like, there's guys, Mitch, like I'm, uh, Mitch Garrett's. I'm, I'm, I don't think this is a secret, but I'm the godfather to his kid. You know, yes. Mitch and I are like super close friends, uh, and we text and tw and and uh, DM each other all day long, and the same goes with Clay Mann, who I'm doing Heroes in Crisis with, and uh, 
and Tony Daniel, who just came on, we're texting back and forth all the time. So it it depends. Some of it, it just it completely depends on, on the relation on the relationship with the, with the artists. And I think sometimes it helps, and sometimes it doesn't. It, uh, I hate it depends. It's the worst answer, but I gave you specific examples. Yeah, you did absolutely. No, you took us around the horn. You did. You did good. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have a right right now. My the artists I'm working with right now. Um, which let me see if I can get them all. I'm working with uh, Clay, Clay Mann, uh, Mitch Garretts, Tony Daniel, Mikhail Janine, and Lee Weeks. Uh, I think I got them. Those, 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 those five guys are for the artists I'm working with right now. I would put those five guys against any five guys in the history of comics. Cool. I just, I, I think I have the, I work with the best artists I, I, that are out there, and and I, I can, I cannot believe I've sort of been blessed with this, with the art I got in, um, getting a getting Mister Miracle pages that sort of transcend the, the form, getting Heroes in Crisis pages where Clayman is is turning into David Mazzucchelli meets Jim Lee, um, Tony Daniels Batman is going to be that definitive one, and Mikel is just keeps pumping out beauty. I mean, I don't, I'm just I'm the I'm the luckiest guy in comics in terms of art. I completely agree. Oh, and, and Lee Weeks is just the best. Well, yeah, no, and, and Lee's done incredible work with you. Finch has done incredible work with you. I think um, the... Stupid David won't come back. I'm trying to get that guy back. Don't get me started on David. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> he knows. The, uh, no, and, and, and really, again, the, the I, I just think you really did achieve in, in creating this incredible love story with Batman and Catwoman through these issues. And, uh... No, the Joelle co- Jones. That's what I forgot. Joelle, Joelle of course, and you know, well, she's graduated. I don't write for her anymore. She's too good for me. I get it. Well, that that uh, leads into the next question, which is from Catherine Nicanon. I hope I'm saying your name right, Catherine. When story beats are needed to be told in two books, how do you work that out with the other writer? For instance, Joelle Jones, Catwoman. Is uh, will, if there will be some crossovers, or need to know what the other character is at, sort of things. Do you get to know um, or affect? the plot of the other book book. Did that make sense? You know what she's saying? Yeah, no, no, okay. no, no. It, it does, it does well, it's my sense. reading more than your question, it's, Catherine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the last part that's hard to answer. The, the first part is how do how do you work together? Of course you just have meetings and you talk to each other and you share emails and you share visions. I think the hardest part it's, it's, I'm this, this is well known at DC. I, I, I am, uh, not a good collaborator. <laughs> I'm, in terms of writing, because I'm terrible at telling other people what to write. I'm so I, I never sort of I never want to tell like here this is your story this is what you have to do to support my story. I'm just not good at it, and I'm not good at someone giving me a script and being like, "What do you think, Tom?" And I'm like, "This is this is how you need to write." I'm just not good at it. I I, I was back in my days in my, in my previous job, like my last job was as a manager. I managed people and I hated it. I just don't like telling people what to do. Um, so that that's that, that's sort of I, I feel like I could be a better Batman writer if I was like okay this is what Detective should be and this is what Batgirl should be and this is what and we'll all sort of hate each other but I like I like freedom as a writer and I feel like other writers should have their own freedom and I'm just kind of sticking to that. Um, also, I just don't have time, uh, so it's, it's it's a combination of things. But 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 I mean, Catwoman in specific is really easy because Joel and I are just kind of friends. Cool. So if and we we know where the story's going in terms of like I you know I was like Joel here's sort of 
I mean, Joelle and I worked together first, right? She worked with me as an artist, right. and so she was in on sort of where Catwoman was going in her development. And and the idea, I mean, all along in bringing Joelle on was to launch her as a someone with Frank Miller as potential in this industry, um, someone who can write and draw and write as well as she draws and draws as well as she writes. Right. And we wanted to launch her from the biggest platform that DC Comics has, which was Batman. So... Joelle doesn't need anyone to, I mean, you just look at her art and you realize she's a superstar, but we just wanted as many people as possible to look at that art. So that, I mean, that was the plan from the beginning was to sort of um, showcase her, give, showcase her. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Um, give her space in which to succeed. And, and she did not shocking anyone. At yeah. All. Great, great first issue. And no, as you say, no, her writing, her writing at Oni and stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm blanking right now. The name, uh, it was the woman killer, and I can't remember the name of the uh, her wonderful book, wasn't it? Joel, uh, Lady Killer. Lady Killer, of course. Thank you. Yeah, I knew. I have it was... a page up on my wall. That's awesome. It's... No, it's a great, it's a fantastic yeah. book. She came through town for Lady Killer at uh, one of my favorite stores, Challengers Comics, and uh, I got to uh, hang. And I think I said this in our last conversation too. Got to hang out with her and uh, the Challengers, one of the Challenger owners, uh, Patrick Brower, and we karaoke all night, and it was <laughs> and it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. And I keep meaning to get her on uh, to, to do a proper word balloon because, no, I think she's amazing. She's a tremendous artist, tremendous writer. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, she's she, she's and, and just whip smart. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, she understood. I mean, I've, I've said this before, but, like, I was doing Cat We went in for a meeting um, to talk about sort of this long 100-issue arc. And she's the one who sort of said to me, she's like, don't forget Catwoman is a bad guy. <laughs> Like on some level, she likes stealing shit. Like yeah. you, 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 as you, you, you can't write her just to be Batman's idea. Batman's ideal is obviously not a criminal, right? Like Batman hates criminals. Like you, you, you can't just idealize her through Batman. Remember that she is her own person. She has this edge to her, and that's part of her. And she was a hundred percent right that I was sort of, I was starting to idealize her too much and sort of turn her into this. Uh, person, this character that she historically is not, and I was missing that part of her character. That's why that sort of issue exists, where she steals the wedding dress. It's all that. that <laughs> I, I think you could, you could. That, that just came right out of Joelle's idea. That like, don't forget, this is a criminal. And I think you can see it as soon as she took the reins of, of her Catwoman book, and her first issue is beautiful, and it perfectly captures that character of a woman who is torn between. Sort of, she has this impulse in her to to take things, and and it's not, and it's part of how she was raised and how she was brutally raised, and you can never forget that sort of that she's not just, you know, an ideal beauty for Batman to love. She's her own woman, and she has her own problems and her own redemptions. Would you say uh, that reminds me that I wanted to ask you this: um, Is Holly Selena's Jason Todd in that? Um Holly continues to disappoint her, and also she knows that while she's flawed, Holly, that she still will ultimately, you know, try to protect her as she has and stuff. And I just see kind of a symmetry between her their relationship and Jason and Bruce's relationship. Yeah, I mean, it gets into spoilery stuff because I think okay. at this point you you don't know if Holly is how. Because it, 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 yeah. I mean, there's there's historically the relationship between them, and then there's a the relationship if you add my shit to it. So I mean, historically, they've been sort of tighter, and that's like her sidekick best friend character. Mm-hmm. And 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 but 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 someone who was raised the same way she was raised, 
and and with that same sort of abuse in the same sort of system, but didn't get sort of out fast enough. That's sort of how I see it. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, and I don't want you to spoil your story. You know that. But in my story, if you've read Fifty, I'll spoil a little bit. I mean, obviously Holly betrays Catwoman at the end of that and bows down to Bane. But the idea is, when did Holly become a Bane agent? I mean, I've, I've revealed that she's killed two hundred thirty-seven people. Was that before, or after? Was that part of the plan? Right. Or was, did, did, and was and you have to remember that in that room is Psycho Pirate. Psycho Pirate could take over Superman's brain. You don't think he could take over Holly's? Um, so you have to remember that. Who who Bane controls and, and who just obeys him is a, is an important question to this whole thing. Very good, I like it. Um, okay, here now uh, let's let's reach reach back and uh, ask a question here. Oh wait, uh, first of all, uh, I love these are great questions. Thank you, anyone on Twitter. Yeah, man, no, this question. and this really was fast. I, I forgive me, folks. I thought uh, we'd have more time. And as I told Tom off the air and everything, I thought we were talking an hour later, but that was totally on me, and I should have put this up earlier. But um, no problem. Let's see, I'm just looking for a good one. I will sit here. Uh, I will. Yeah. I hear you. Oh, oh, now Ben Becker asks, and this is so stupid. I'm going to still throw it out there just to, you know, Mr. Miracle uh, fully spelling the word Mr. Miracle or Mr. Mr. Period Miracle. Really, dude? <laughs> really? It's a good question. It's like I. It's a, so when when I write, I use autocorrect shortcuts. So uh, when I type. I, I don't type out Mr. Miracle. I just type MM, and then Mr. Miracle pops up, and it's fully spelled. So I say Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R because sure. that's what happens when I put it in. But it's, it, this is a, a script thing, which is hard to do. I try, and I don't always succeed, and I'm sure it drives Mitch crazy. I, I write Mr. Miracle when he's in costume, and I write Scott Free when he's not in costume, same as I do Bruce Wayne in Batman. Nice. Uh, but uh, so sometimes I, I get them mixed up. I think probably because Scott is shorter and – and uh, it makes it look like I've written less or something. I don't know. But yeah, I would say Mr. M I S T E R. Fair enough. All right, well, I'm in. William Meyer. Well, I think I think that is the correct answer. I just for for brevity and also the fact that Twitter has limited characters. You know, I I do the Mister. I do the M R period because we all know. Yeah, it is Mister. That's the title of the book, man. You know, I mean, yeah. So so I guess so. Seth Myers before the Seth Myers things, he comes to me. And he's super cool and super nice, and he's an actual nerd. And he, the, whole, the way the Seth Meyers thing started is he went into a comic shop. Um, I, they reached out to me. There's, I should know their names, but I don't. And he asked, he's, he's like, do you know if Tom King would want to come on my show? And there was a comic shop that called DC and said, Seth Meyers wants oh, Tom King. Oh, that's fantastic. So, I mean, that's a super honor. So sure. he, he he comes into the room and he and he go he, he goes Tom I love your stuff I'm reading it constantly I just Miracle Man is my favorite thing you, the way you write Miracle Man he's, he he's like I read right. he's like I read every issue of Miracle Man and you're like do I correct Seth Meyers or like what are the what are the rules here like. Have I written enough issues of Batman that I can correct this? I was like, oh, yeah, no, Miracle Man. My, my two <laughs> He's uh, amazing. <laughs> when I was on the air with him, he turned to me and he goes, Tom, you have two children. And I actually said, yes, I have three children. I lost a child. I was like, I well, Seth Meyers just said I have two children, so I'll go with it. I don't know which one's missing. Uh, let's say it's the, the youngest. So I just have to. Because <laughs> he won't remember this. <laughs> he won't remember this. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so it's Mr. Miracle, although a lot of people call him Miracle Man. Well, and of course, I can't imagine why. It's not like I was influenced at all. Perhaps someday you will write Miracle Man, a fine character on his own. 
Ugh, what an awful idea to write Miracle Man. For Some real? characters... I have no this interest theory. in Miracle Man. Interesting. I have this theory that some characters have been written well enough that there's no reason to write them anymore. Um, and a sure. lot, a lot of people disagree with me. A lot of creators disagree with me, and we have this argue. This is a good late night bar yeah, argument. Who's on the list? Who, who else is on the list? Uh, I'm oh, so many people are on the list. Like Tommy, I think it. I swamp things. On, I've written swamp thing twice, so I'll tell you I violated the rule. Uh, I think just I feel like Alan Moore did the best swamp thing you could do, and and I mean, I mean uh, except if you want to look back at the Bernie Wrights and stuff, which is just drawn Whoa, so perfect yeah. and like Bernie Wrights and stuff. Sure. But I, I do feel like Alan Moore kind of put put a. a a touch on that character that that it feels like if I try to write it, it would be an it would just be a sort of an echo of like I couldn't write better than uh, I Swamp Thing. I I think uh, it, it's funny because there there are people who violate that rule. I would say like like I would say a character like Daredevil. Like I can't write Daredevil better than Frank Miller wrote Daredevil, and I can't write it better than Bendis wrote Daredevil. And uh, those those two runs would haunt that comic for me. Like I just don't know how I could do anything. I don't, like they just they wrote all the good Daredevils. I hear you. No, I understand. And taking nothing away from any of these other critics, hell, your buddy Scott Snyder did a great job on Swamp Thing. And I know. And it's Charles Soule's doing a fantastic job. Doing a great job on Daredevil. And absolutely, man. Wade and Zombie did. I have nothing yes. to envy for them. But just for me, just talking for me. It would be just personally hard to find new room. Sure. I think I think this is true of the X Men. I think it's hard for me. It's when I when whenever I go to whenever I would think of myself writing an X Men comic, I would always be like, I can't do what Claremont did. I just like you can't outdo Claremont. You just feel like an echo of that person. Uh, you feel like you're just trying to catch that high again. I think that's what's great about Grant Morrison. I feel like he came along and he's like, fuck that high. I'm gonna do. I'm going to come a completely different high. You know, like he. he, he <laughs> I like that when we both talk about Scottish creators, we have to do the Scottish accent. Go on. Grant Morrison is the most fun. <laughs> if anyone's ever talked to Grant, Grant Morrison has never met a creator he doesn't love so if you ever talk to him you feel like the sun is shining on you for the first time in your life you just walk up to him and be like hi I'm, I'm Tom I just started on Grayson we wrote Grayson I read Grayson number one it's the best fucking comic I ever read you're a fucking genius Tom King your name is gonna be carved into the legends of comics I'm like oh Tim wrote most of it <laughs> you're just like... speaking of but you feel you feel so warm speaking of Grayson now you just said you have difficulty collaborating was it tough collaborating with Tim Seeley Tim Seeley is the easiest person to work with. No, it's, 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 <laughs> never mind. He's great. Tim, and well, we both I, love Tim. You, I know that. So go on. I married a Midwesterner. You're a Midwesterner. Tim is a Midwesterner. I, there, there's an exception for people from the coldest parts of the country, I guess. That's true. Uh, and but 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 Tim and uh, Tim and I had a good system where. Again, like I, like I said, I'm not good at telling people how to write. We would just switch off issues. We would get on the phone and we'd be like, okay, here's where we think it should go. And we'd sort of hash that out. And then I would write my issue and I would turn it in and it would get edited. And, and then he'd write his issue. And, turn, and I, would, I would maybe comment on like, hey, one line is wrong or something. But like the collaboration was we – I did not need to tell Tim Seeley how to write a comic book. Sure. And he did need to tell me that com- how to write a comic book because I was young. And so sure. he did and was very kind. Sure. And uh, and so that's why that collaboration worked because we both knew how to sort of give each other that kind of space. I mean, he, we just did it again. He wrote the um, uh, these uh, sort of issues that led up to the wedding. I didn't. I yes, wasn't. I of, love that side series, and I intend to talk to him about that in the weeks ahead. Go on. Yeah, I wasn't. 
uh, it was one of those things where I was sort of, we were moving up to this big moment and DC's like, Hey, let's do some sort of, uh, you know, I, I, you, you, I didn't have room to tell every single story about sure, this wedding. Sure. I didn't have time for the actual part. I didn't have stories. And, and they're like, you're not telling those stories. You find someone else tells them. I said, uh, you yeah, whatever, basically, you know, I let me get to my script. Like again, not good collaborator. And they're like, well, what if we get Tim Seeley to do it? And I was like, yes. Was like, That's, That's great. Easy. So again, it was like, it was like old time. Seeley got on the phone and he's just like, here's this idea. And we're like, we had this sort of problem and we were doing play around with it. And then we got to the end point where I was like, okay, yes, just, and then and I just said yes, right, and that was basically my contribution. He came up with everything in those things, and they're brilliant. And I, when you can, th- that's the best. That's that's the way I collaborate, which is again not leadership. It's just kind of capitulation. I understand. I uh, and uh, let's go back because you were just saying that some uh, versions of characters and writers do kind of a fi- you know final word, and it's tough to come back from that. William Meyer asks, "Do you like what they did with the MCU version?" the cinematic universe version of Vision in Infinity War. Do you think the MCU Vision would have retained his identity once the... Oh, I guess not. I guess it's slightly different. I thought that if they were asking if compared to the way you've written the Vision. But uh, do you think the MCU Vision would have retained his identity once the Infinity Stone was removed, or would it have been similar to an android lobotomy? That's still an interesting question. Hmm. I I didn't really consider... All right. uh, I should clarify... I, I really love Paul Bretton's performance, and they did do Vision in a sweater vest in the second Avengers <laughs> movie, which my some my wife completely completely thinks comes from my vision, and I tell her no, these things get made much farther in advance. <laughs> but I was very excited and will claim that it did, even though it clearly did not. Uh, I, I I am gonna I am gonna say that is an incredibly good question, and I am not the first to answer. I saw that movie. I saw I loved um, Infinity War. I thought it was. For the best time I've had the theaters, all where Agreed. I was just in awe. Agreed. Where I was just like, I was like, they're doing with movies what I used to love about comics, yeah, where it's just right. like all the worlds collide yes. into each other. Yes. And and they retained their voices. That was the best thing. Nobody nobody seemed insincere because of course it's the same producers and and they're vetting these scripts very carefully. But that was the great thing that the Guardians with Thor really felt like the Guardians with Thor. It didn't feel yes. forced at all and they each spoke appropriately. And and God, Spider Man, Iron Man and Doctor Strange, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I loved it. And you could see and you just like it looked like a big love letter to Jim Starlin and it yes. was just it was beautiful. And uh but but let me put the butt on how right, my love. Right. I saw it. I, I, I uh, took my kids. I have an eight-year-old girl and a nine-year-old boy. And I took them to this movie. And I bought whatever tickets. I didn't even look. And I show up. And it was a 4D version of the movie. So, And I did not know what the 4D version of a movie is. But So you, you go into a theater in the middle of Washington, D.C. And you sit in chairs. And it's like a fucking roller coaster. The chairs go up and down and sideways. And water sprays in your face. And wind comes at you when there's wind. Yes. I've never had this it, experience. Go on. It, it's it's like smell-o-vision, <laughs> but for modern times and much more expensive when I looked at my receipt than what I, my Fandango receipt. And so I have two young children who have, you know, uh, this is like their fourth or fifth, you know, sort of adult movie. And now they're going side to side Aww. while water is blowing in their face. And, and, uh, and I'm just thinking, this is awesome. And they're going to explode. And it, it, it was... And, and and they're asking for candy and there's popcorn spilling and who's going to need to go to the bathroom because it's very long. And so I, I feel like 
I did not get enough subtlety to, un- to answer that question in terms of my watching. <laughs> Ask me again when it comes out on, on DVD and my wife and I watch it late at night and, and I fall asleep halfway through because that's what it means I, to be a parent. I needed two showings because I've become very narcoleptic in, in movie theaters. The lights go down, the rumble of the sound, It's in, you're in a comfortable chair, and especially now that I'm working overnights, I fall asleep. And it happened to me, and I always say that's a $15 uh, nap that I've just taken. So the first time I saw it, I saw 10 random infinity war scenes and I loved every one of them. And then I woke up at the end of the movie. Uh, and, and maybe there's somebody listening that hasn't seen it. So I'll just, everyone knows what I'm talking about. You see Thanos at a very key moment and I really had to go to the bathroom and I'm just like, Oh, uh, this is, well, and obviously people know what happened, but yeah, I'm like, uh, I mean, I really got to go to the bathroom, but this kind of feels like the end of the movie. Dun, dun. Hit, hit the music, hit the credits. So I immediately bolt for the bathroom. I don't want to see the scene after the credits because I know I'm going to come back and see the whole movie again. So, yeah, that was the Friday it opened. And then the following Monday, I saw it again. So I spent 28 bucks on uh, Infinity War to finally see the whole thing. And luckily, I did not fall asleep on the second showing. And uh, but yeah, it really is a gamble, and it, and Seely and Norton can attest to sitting next to me falling asleep. It was Seely. It was the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, the first one, <laughs> two thousand nine, and I believe with Norton it was Rise of the Silver Surfer that we all went. And he's like, "You slept through like half the movie," and I'm like, "Yeah, I know. Thanks, Mike." So <laughs> I was on night shift for the Iraq War. Uh, but CIA, but yeah, I, so I remember being one of those off seat schedules, and yeah, you never know when the tire hits you yes. when you're on those things. You're like, oh man, I guess I'm going. Yeah, I'm going down. It's true. It's yeah, a nap could happen at four. It could happen at seven. And I really was like, I went to a four o'clock show. I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. Wrong. So yeah, that's a lesson learned. And and as because of that, I've seen Solo. I have not seen Deadpool two yet. I have not seen Ant Man and the Wasp yet, and I have not seen Incredibles two yet. I have children. I'm sure you've seen them all already. No, I saw Solo. I didn't see. Inc- My wife took the kids to see Incredible Two. Damn her! Oh, good for her. Well, that's all right. And I know I heard Bendis's review on your thing, and now so I'm like dying. It's- yeah, the God the Godfather of animated Godfather Two of animated movies. I like that. The Godfather Two. I like the Godfather better than Godfather Two. I know. I'm. I'm oh not, no! I'm I th- well, I think the Godfather's superior to the Godfather Two, but it's it's still a great. It's it's probably the best sequel ever. Oh yeah, of course. And and yeah, I mean, well, yeah, you can't, you know, it's it's just like Guardi- I liked Guardians too. Fine, I think it's a really fun movie, but the first movie, all the spontaneity, all the surprises and stuff, and you can do that shooting Mo Green's eye, those kind of beautiful surprises that you only get in Godfather One. <laughs> Come on, and of course, shoot two has its own little moments, like shooting Fredo, for instance. Uh, good stuff, man. Oh, you see, here we go. We'll 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 probably get to more uh, digressions in a second. What uh, Josh Cruz asks, good guy, Josh Cruz. Uh, what is your next big twelve issue maxi series? You can tell me, right? Uh, well, I mean, Heroes in Crisis is a big old maxi series. Well, I guess it's not a maxi series. It's is it an ongoing? Uh, what is the plan for uh, Heroes in Crisis? It's it's eight issues, I think. Okay. Seven or eight issues. Okay. Uh, and starts in September. Yes, I know. So, Ooh. I mean that that's a pretty big one. So, but it involves it's not it's like I've never done something like this before. It involves I mean the entire DCU. I mean Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman are obviously the center of it because they are sort of the, the heart the heart and soul of the DCU. But it's it's a story about sort of all the characters and and, and there are, a ton of them are touched upon. Uh, and the, the, yeah. 
So I, 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 it's it's Clay's, Clay Mann is drawing it. It's the best art he's ever done. I keep, I keep telling him he's sort of transcending himself. Uh, so if you if you read uh, Action Comics One Thousand, which Clay and I did together, or the DC Nation Zero we did together, or if you read the Super Friends arc that we did together, yes, uh, this is this is our <laughs> this is our next collaboration, and it is gorgeous. Yeah, so. Uh, I don't know, should I, am I, should, I, should I pitch that or I don't know what to do. But anyways, yeah. So, so that I guess that's the next big thing. After that, I don't know. I think I'm going to see. Right now, I'm doing Mr. Miracle. I'm doing Heroes in Crisis. I'm doing Batman, obviously, and I'm doing this, this Walmart Superman thing. Yes, I want to get to obviously Walmart Superman because. Uh, um, but uh, okay, well, you know, yeah, I think you've asked jo- answered Josh's question. I hope before we uh, one, is there more to talk about as far as what you can say about? Uh, Heroes in Crisis? Uh, I mean, for people who don't know what it is, it's a story about just the idea that these sort of superheroes that we all have been come to love and live these incredibly violent lives, that that violence has consequences on them psychologically and physically, and that they have to deal with those consequences, just like anyone who's gone through violence has to sort of deal with those consequences, um, which, you know, the easy way to say it's PTSD, but we that sort of Sometimes just implies war to some people, but sometimes not. But and 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 because they're superheroes and because they help each other out. Long ago, years ago, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman set up a place called Sanctuary, which is which you go to to uh, to talk about this violence and, and 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 to find a way to not have that take you over, to not have the horrors of being a superhero, of seeing people die every day. Of, of of not being able to save everyone every day to, to to deal with that psychologically, you go there and you, you you find ways to sort of come out. And what happens is it's in the solicits is in the first issue there's a um a a, a mass killing at the at, at the center, and uh, and the mystery is who who did the mass killing and why. Ooh, okay. Are there um. I'm I'm looking forward to the potent you know, and the only reason why I'm calling that this is that they're not Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman, or even Justice Leaguers necessarily. Will we see C and D level DC Universe heroes and villains that maybe we haven't seen in a couple decades? In some cases, yeah, a hundred. percent. I love C and D level characters. Those are my favorite. Like I work with Kite Man. Yes. I mean, I don't know what you consider C level characters. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, is there Mister Miracle a C level character? I feel maybe he might be because he's not like yes, on actually, I do. I think, but prior to your mini series, yeah, I think or maxi series, I suppose, uh, yeah, I, I do think Mister Miracle qualifies as a C level character. I, a Blue Beetle, I think, is like the original Blue Beetle, Ted Cord, even though he had his own series and stuff. Ragman, uh, God, uh, what's his face? Just did the Ragman uh, mini series, and it was really good. Shame on me. So- my, my my philosophy, and I, people probably know this about me, is what I do. Ray is Fox. Instead of I just asking, want to say Ray Fox because it took oh, me a Fox, second yeah. to think of who did the Ragman, yeah, the, Ray the great Ray Fox, the Ragman, Ra- Ra- yeah, which is cool. It was all about the Afghan War. It's cool. Yep. Uh, if um, if you, my my theory on these sort of things is, uh, I, I come up with a scenario. Like I, I called Dan. And I, I say, here's the scenario. There's going to be this place. There's going to be a murder. There's going to be, I, 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 there's going to be some suspects, and there's going to be some stars. And, uh, and 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 I say, can you fill in the holes for me and give me those characters? That way, if you give me the characters, then I'll have the room to completely destroy them and rebuild them. 
or destroy them and destroy them. Cool. Uh, which I think is a it's a better approach than sort of being like I'm, I've oh, I've always been in love with um, the uh, who's like a ran I've, I've always been, Dial H for Hero. Yeah, with Dial H for Hero, and that's that's the character has to be in there. And I just have to, and then and, and they're like, well, you know, he's in this book and that book. So, and then you're like, no, it, 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 it's just, like it, it doesn't work out for you. But if they give you the character, then you, then then when they come to you, be like, oh, we need. It's like, hey, you gave this character to me. I was like, oh, okay. sure. That that's that, that's how Mr. Miracle got started. I didn't choose to write about Mr. Miracle. I asked Dan. I said, I want space. I want to do something crazy with the character. I want to do something as deep as possible to dive as deeply into a character as sort of they did in Watchmen. And I was thinking of the Charlton's characters, like. Sure. You know, if you if more could do with the Charlton's characters, I can. We can do it with any character. And Dan said, "Here, do it with Mister Miracle. Do it with the New Gods." And so that's what I did here. And and two. And he's like, he's like, and I, I was like, I was like, I need two stars for this series. And the two stars he said were Booster Gold and Harley Quinn. So th- they're 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 the two ones he gave me. And th- so they're the two focus of the characters. So if you think of the, those are the five main characters are Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Booster Gold, and Harley Quinn. Very cool. So it's, it'll be it'll be they'll, they'll be in the center of the story, and then like yeah, dozens and dozens of. A to F list characters will be involved. That's awesome. No, that's great, man. And again, that's that's why I love the DCU, man. It's funny because certainly there are a couple hundred X Men and mutants you can look at as far as Marvel goes, and certainly Marvel has a deep bench as well. But uh, I don't know, man. I think growing up when I did and uh, being exposed to a lot of those Silver Age characters in the backs of the hundred page, the original hundred page spectaculars, uh, that that you know made those characters just more alive to me and be like, Oh, I'd like to read more about these guys. And Robbie Reed, that's why that's why he immediately sprang to mind. You know, Dial H for Hero. What uh, Oh yeah. Now now uh, mentioning the hundred page spectaculars, what can you tell us about your Superman story? It, uh so people don't know, so DC, DC Comics did a deal with Walmarts to release these hundred page giants. And what they are are uh, 12 pages of new material and then oh, math 88 pages of <laughs> reprint <laughs> I write for a living uh, 88, 88 pages of reprint material and I've seen them and they're just beautiful they just they just like warm your heart as a comic fan because it, it's it's on kind of old school paper and is it really it's, it's on like news rag yeah wow yeah. that's great that's terrific well and I'm sure that's what Help keep helps keep the price point down. It's five bucks for one of these. Yeah, and it's five. Yeah, it's five bucks for a hundred. It's five five bucks for a hundred page. And the idea is is that people will go into a Walmart and purchase these things and look at these stories, and then new customers will come into comic book stores. We got to drive more customers into comic book stores. That just has to be the goal of DC Comics and and Marvel Comics too. Agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we we need to we need to grow this audience. Uh, constantly, always. I mean, it, I, you and I, John, we both started off getting comics off the rack when we were little moved, kids. Yeah, when we were little kids, and we moved grid, just like you said earlier. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to recreate that experience that so many of us had, where you go to a store and, and I have kids, so you go to a store and your kids whining and they're just whining, you're just like, oh, what can I? Oh, five bucks. Okay, here, here's yeah, five bucks. Five bucks is uh, today's fifty cents or twenty five cents, yeah. and yeah. I get it. Look at okay, and then, then the kid just reads that, and, the kid, and then oh, how, how can I? And then and then because we're really just drug dealers, how can I get more? Uh, <laughs> True. And, and so, as a way to do that, they asked uh, Brian. They asked a, a few creators, but they asked Brian and I to uh, write twelve issues that are exclusive to Walmart, 
it was sort of part of the deal. I mean, it was it was how to, we got it was the price of getting into the stores is that they wanted some exclusive content. Sure. And uh, I don't really like that. I I I would make per, just behind the scenes stuff. Ever since your Jerry Ordway thing, it was the best interview ever because he's just like, here's the actual fucking numbers. <laughs> no, that was, I know that was incredibly generous of him. And if people haven't heard it, I asked Jerry about. You know, he created Cat Grant, for example, and Cat Grant was and is an important part of the Supergirl television series. And, you know, thankfully now creators are getting royalties and everything. So, yeah, it was, I didn't want him to, you know, like I said, I go, I'm not your accountant, but I, I go, I am curious. Are they taking care of you? Are you getting a decent amount of money for creating Cat Grant and her appearing on television? And he laid it out. And I, see, I absolutely suggest you listen to that episode of Word Balloon. I won't spoil Go back and listen to the Jerry Ordway interview. It got a lot of downloads, and I'm sure a lot of you already did listen to it, but uh, for people who haven't. But continuing on. So, yes, the Walmart material. Well, and and this might help answer. uh, Jonathan Schwartz had the question, will your Superman material for the Walmart books ever be uh, collected or reprinted for comic stores down the line? That's out of my control. I mean, I, I, I hope so, and I would think so, but I don't, I don't control yeah. it, so I can't say yes okay. or no. And I figured that uh, would be the answer. I think as well that it's likely, and I'm sure that there's a way to represent that that stuff after Walmart has had its exclusivity that, you know. Yeah, it's, would, it's, it's the exclusivity part of it kind of sucks. And I – because – and it, it, it if Brian Bendis and Nick Darrington, two, Nick Darrington does the covers for Mr. Miracle and draws the, one of the best Batmans you've ever seen. If they were to do a number one Batman and put it in comic book stores, they would make so much more money than if they put put it in Walmart stores. Understood. Like there, there's much more sales, but we have to grow this audience. Like we have to. Sure. It is our responsibility as creators to not leave comics. Um, to, to, to when we leave this world to not kill comics, you know, yeah. we have to bring in audiences. We can't just grow with them. So, uh, it sounds like we're making some grand sacrifice. We're fucking not. We're writing comics, but, uh, no, but this is like, this is like DC's Shogun jump. If I'm saying it correctly in terms of, you know, repurposing old material, presenting it in a very affordable way. And that's why I'm really glad to hear that it is on news red. Cause yeah, I'm like, wow, man, I can't believe five bucks a, for a hundred pages of comics and stuff, and yes, I know eighty-eight pages of it is reprints and stuff. But no, that it—I think it makes sense. I, I mean, in terms of no, give them give them something that makes it special that will drive people to Walmart because obviously that's Walmart's intent. And uh, and yeah, I think it's the perfect price, like you said, of like you know a mom being able to satisfy their kid with a decent amount of uh, you know a nice thick book, and that uh, hopefully will yeah make them into new comic book readers and. Again, that's how that's how you and I got into it. Not only that, I remember the Whitman bag of. In my time, it was three comics. I think as as the years progressed, it was five comics in a bag, you know, for ninety nine cents. And you'd get a bunch of random comics. You know, I'd get a Damian Hellstrom <laughs> middle issue that I'd never know what the beginning was or what the end. But I was entertained as hell, and yeah, it was dirt cheap. It was ninety nine cents for a bag of three comics. So yeah, so so that's like the self-sacrificing spin on it. Now let me give you the actual truth of what the decision was. But I'm glad I gave you. I see. I give you. I give you the the, the company Simon line. Schuster PR the PR <laughs> lady version first. Now I'll tell you the story. She didn't want me to say. Well, uh, what really is 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 somebody came to me and his name was Dan DiDio and said, "Do you want to do uh, a Superman story with Andy Kuber?" 
And it doesn't have to be in continuity. It just has to be um, 12 pages and you do and you do t- 12, 12 page in- increments. I was like, well, you, you're offering me basically all star Superman with Andy Kubert. And he's like, yeah, I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> like you just said, yeah. you can't say you, there was there was just there's no no in me that could say that. I was like, this is the great I, I want to do something brilliant. And I love I love the short story form. I, I that's just something I adore. I, I won the Eisner for last year. Um, and so the idea of sort of working with Andy, who is a storytelling genius, it's so bizarre to work with him. I mean, he literally, his father obviously wrote the book on how to draw comics. Straight. Joe Kubert. And, uh, and, and then Andy and his brother now run the school on Adam now run the school on, on how to draw comics. Uh, my favorite Adam story was if you, if you ever go to, um, Oh, the the Universal Studios one in Florida, the one that's next to Disney mm-hmm. World. Um, I went there with my kids, and there's like obviously like a Marvel land there, yes. and they have these huge um, posters up that are you know just like thirty feet high of Wolverine and Bat and Spider, and they're all Andy Kubert drawings. Wow, I mean, uh, uh, Adam Adam Kubert drawings. Still Sorry, wow, Andy. Adam Kubert. And uh, I don't, I don't, and like saying to my kids, is like, I know that guy. <laughs> like he's a nice dude. He knows me. If he saw my face, he'd say hello. And he did that. Millions of people walk under his stuff. <laughs> I felt so famous. Uh, and he, he, he would say Mr. Miracle instead of Miracle Man. Um, <laughs> so, yes, he would. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. So, so Andy, and I, we're doing this story. It's called Superman Up in the Sky. It's uh, there's a framework on it, but it's really just it's going to be twelve almost. Almost like EC Comics short stories. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Kind of, kind of. Oh, oh, but I mean, the idea. It's I, I. I steal from old movies. You know me. I can I. I, uh, I constantly. So this is basically the Searchers. Don't tell anyone I stole from. Ooh, them. that's good. John, oh, John that's Portal interesting. Country. Okay. There's there's a, a a little girl gets kidnapped, and Superman has to go after her, and he becomes obsessed with sort of the journey, and it's uh and, and it, she gets kidnapped into space, so it's called Up in the Sky. He leaves Earth behind. Ooh, so it's a it's a cosmic Superman story. It's yeah. It's a. I love sci Superman. I love sci-fi stuff. I love like. You, I know you. You were. I know you because you were literally the talking head in the video. But I love Isaac Asimov. You know, like that kind of sort of old school fifty sci. <laughs> so like. I, uh, and so yeah. So it's it it's Superman in space, and each issue is sort of him getting closer and closer to to finding this girl, and him having to make more and more sacrifice. Like in the searchers, have more and more sacrifices as he gets farther from earth and closer to the girl and each each one is a self-contained short story and i'm using the uh, i'm using this very sort of experimental storytelling technique which you'll see when you read it that i didn't think i could pull off but we're going to try and uh and it's it's some of the most beautiful comics you've ever seen and we're of course andy's three of them are in the bag already so uh, oh I, I gotta send you one the, the third issue is a boxing match oh yes please I I will send it to you. It's it's Superman and Mido. I shouldn't say this, but I'm gonna tell you. It's Superman and Mido, who's an old character that's forgotten purposely. But it's 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 twelve rounds of a of a of a of, a, of and like like super boxing. Oh, fantastic! And because I just listened to your podcast on boxing and comics, and the whole time I'm shouting at you like it's coming. That's great. I got send you on there. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, you know, well, you know my history in the sport and everything, and of where you know. Where you also mentioned me in the middle of the podcast, which also made me upset again, 
Uh, Must have been the Michael Cronenberg uh, uh, conversation, because I also had Doug uh, Fisher, who's the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine, and he's more of a Marvel guy. Uh, yeah, no, but, it was. But the, he knows his history. It was the Bronze Age Batman conversation. Yes, yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he wrote the uh, Batcave uh, Companion for Tomorrow's. Co-wrote it with Michael Yuri, and he had the which is brilliant. I have, if you haven't picked it up, I've read the whole book cover to cover, and I love. Well, it. and he covers you know again seventies Batman. That's that's my wheelhouse. That's when I was buying. Hell, I remember twenty cent comics. Thank you very much. I'm not proud of that. And <laughs> and he knows Noir Alley, which is my favorite show on television. Oh yeah, he's he's <laughs> tight with Eddie Muller. Yeah. I know that that kind of freaked me out a little bit. I know I'm hoping. Like, I guess, <laughs> Mike, if you're listening, eventually I will be asking for Eddie Muller's contact info, and I would love to get Eddie Muller on because he's a Batman fan, and his dad was a sports writer and covered boxing, as you heard. Oh no, I I, I love it. Well, and you know, uh, Batman and Wildcats certainly, and what uh, Bo Smith did and and Chuck uh, back in the day, and also just their original team ups and everything. No, I love uh, I love the the comic book element or the boxing element. There's also that great Joe Kubert story. Uh, first of all, Sergeant Rock was a boxer, and that's how he yeah. got his nickname. Rock started out as a yes, yeah, started out as a boxer in the first issue of Sergeant Rock. The first issue of Sergeant Rock is a dub is a half page splash. One he's boxing, one he's in the war. That's exactly right. Very cool. Well, and also I have to say your twelve page uh, length of each of each story, and uh, it, it sounds very two thousand A.D. And that's what I really loved about getting to know the two, 2000 AD stuff. Uh, Rogue Trooper uh, with uh, with um, Dave Gibbons. You know, a lot of that stuff would be like eight pages. Yeah. And they'd be self-contained eight-page stories. But then they would absolutely lead to the next story as well. And and I and I and that is one of the things about 2000 AD I find great that they can be so episodic and, and get a lot of story in a very short amount of uh, space. So it'll be fun to see you. Uh, Again, like you said, you done it. You did it with uh, Elmer and Batman last year, and it won you an Eisner. So, <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't win an Eisner for. That. I hope I get. I find out next week if I won an Eisner for that. Oh, I thought last year was uh, for the Elmer story. Oh no, it was the Ace the Bathound story, right? I ran. I ran for Ace the Bathound last year and for Vision. So this year you're up for uh, Elmer. This year I'm up for Elmer. Nice. Next Is week. that your only uh, nomination for the Eisners, or do you have others? No, Mr. Miracle kindly, every single person who worked on Mr. Miracle got nominated. So, uh, obviously, uh, Mitch got got nominated for Pencils and Eeks. Mitch got nominated for Colors. Uh, Clayton Cowles, who does the letters, got nominated. And I I got nominated for Writing. And the whole series got nominated. So, so I'm nominated for Writing, Mr. Miracle, and for – not that I keep track or care. I dude, I, I I congratulate you on continuing to make me very uncomfortable in the best way every time I'm reading each chapter of Mister Miracle. <laughs> it's disturbing the, in the best possible way. The, the I really hope Elmer Fudd wins because I really <laughs> want Lee Weeks to win an Eisner and for because he he hasn't even been nominated as his first nomination. Wow! And uh, it would just be the the greatest sort of honor of my life to sort of um, to to. To, to to be on a stage with that guy because he's just he, he's he's one of the most brilliant artists in the history of our medium and and uh, I think people are rediscovering how brilliant he's been for thirty years you know so uh, and it, I just hope he, I hope that wins of all of all I mean Mitch is going to win Mitch is a young dude he's going to win Eisner after Eisner for the rest of his life I, I hope you know so will Lee but just in case I'm with you <laughs> no I'm totally with you and also I just love the fact that that story puts Elmer Fudd in a triangle with 
Batman and Silver St. Cloud and that they both went after Silver. Silver's always, I love those, as I'm obviously you do as well, those Englehart Rogers stories. And it was, it, oh, yeah. I mean, well, and again, that's why I think your stuff with Catwoman has that same kind of resonance for this for this generation. Because it is interesting when Batman has a love interest. I, I got really angry at fans who kind of rejected when Englehart and Rogers came back and did Dark Detective 2, as they called it, and 3, for mm-hmm. that matter. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think they quite understood. And they were like, oh, it's kind of hokey and it's a little too little too old school and and it's like you know they they even were picking on the fact that Englehart was using thought bubbles in the panels <laughs> and it's like dude just chill it's you don't understand you go back and read those original stories they're beautiful stories and shows i, I there's there's this rejection in some circles of uh the heroes you know we don't want to know about their feelings we just want them to hit people basically that's the shorthand that i'm getting from some of the complaints and I don't know. Again, as, as as someone who's read these things for generations, it's nice to get in their heads, and and really hear how what they're thinking about, and even having them have doubts sometimes. I think that only makes them more human and more relatable, and I think uh, more interesting as as characters, as opposed to just smashing through a wall or smashing through a window and you know throwing a batarang and wrapping people up. You know. I remember as a kid. Uh... Well, probably as older than I would think I am, but I I saw them. I said it was like greatest Marvel battles ever, and it was just had you know um, the Alan Davis Wolverine saber tooth in it, and it had uh, Jim Lee's Punisher's stuff in there, and it started off with uh, Thor versus the Hulk from an old Stan Lee Jack Kirby comic, and Stan wrote the introduction to it, and I I just I remember this as just a storyteller lesson, him saying. It was him saying the problem with a, a, a story between uh, Thor and Hulk fighting is they're both super strong. So when they start hitting each other, you're basically just watching two normal people hit each other. <laughs> that was such a revelation. I was like, oh, he's totally right. He's like, it's no longer a super cool superhero story. It's just a boxing story. And and I, and I was like, wow. He's, and he's, he's like, that's why. And then he's, he's like, there's that's why I put the emotional content in. And I made this a story about uh, Thor trying to stop Hulk or Hulk trying to, you know, like, like that's why all the background stuff is in there. He's like, because if it was just the two of them punching, it wouldn't it all be interesting because it would just be the same as two normal people punching two people who both have superpowers are just even and they become normal again. Yep. And, and I, 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 as I, I remember, it was like one of the first lessons in storytelling where I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, that's why it just can't just be about the punching. It has to be about stakes. It has to be something bigger than the, just the punching. All the punching has to be there. Obviously. Very cool. That Stanley knew something about writing, I think. Yes. <laughs> I liked your uh, encounter uh, with Stan that you mentioned in the last episode or two episodes ago. I know it was a recent oh, one. Yeah. Uh, we, we should say a word for Steve Tico. Yes, by all means, uh, feel free. Yes, and actually, it's my first opportunity. I, shame on me. I, Oh, no, actually, now that I think about it, I recorded the Bendis episode, for people who know, literally the day before Steve passed. So, um, yeah, I didn't have a chance on, on the last couple episodes to acknowledge uh, the greatness of Steve Ditko. So, uh, yeah, please, any any thoughts you have? Uh, I mean, he's, he kind of gave us a lot of the vocabulary we use. I mean, I went back and and looked over his Amazing Spider-Man stuff, especially, and the way sort of he, he uses movement, especially. I mean, I, I, I said this on Twitter, but I'll say it again. 
Like I went up to Dave Gibbons at the Eisner's last year. Just I was like, hey man, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm constantly stealing your nine panel grid. And he's like, I stole that from Steve Dicko. That's right. Uh, and, uh, and 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 just. just and you look back and you see him sort of creating a new vocabulary of movement and 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 uh, and even plot in terms of of the soap operas of of, of who uh, uh, he, he brought to, to to me his visuals are beautiful but also he like brought which I love in comics he brought weakness into comic books like like Kirby brought strength he brought weak he brought he brought vulnerability very good he brought, yeah. Um, he brought the concept that these sort of creatures could be broken. And then again, that raised the stakes for everything. Uh, and he was also a crazy, interesting recluse Agreed. and who lived a, a cool, a cool life. Uh, my favorite behind the scenes story, which I'm sure I can't tell, but I'll tell it anyways. Or, I don't know if this is my favorite, but at least it's one I know that I haven't seen a lot of places. Uh, so so Dicto was supposed to come back to Marvel to do Spider-Man in 1999 or 1990, so like in the late 90s. And did you know this? No, go on. Not at all. Uh, and uh, this, this, oh, wait, I, mean, oh, I don't care. I talk about school a little bit. This is old history now. And uh, he, then Byrne came out with, I think it's something called uh, – Spider-Man The Secret Years or something. Yeah, yeah I remember that. And, yes. And Burns Burns pitch for that was and I remember the public pitch the pitch was these are this is what happened between the panels of the first 10 issues of Spider-Man basically. And uh and so they had all so Marvel had ramped up for the big Steve Ditko return of Spider-Man. He just called him he's like I think you're violating uh my rights here. So no thank you. And I I, I talked to the editor who talked to him on the phone. And I was, I was like, what did you say? And, 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 and like, the, the, the editor just looked back to me and was like, dude, there's no convincing Steve Dick. Sure. <laughs> he's, he's like, it, it wasn't like he's like, I'm thinking of going one way or the other. He like totally and ranted. He's like, there is negative and positive, and I am now on the negative side. Wow. And I will not be good. I thought it was going to be about the movie or something like that because I also remember his frustration with the first movie and. Uh, you know, well, and you know that he co-created, and well, of course, there's the BBC Jonathan Ross uh, in search of Steve Ditko that's on YouTube. Everyone should watch it if they haven't already. And the other interesting thing is uh, that Masters of Comic Art that was narrated by Harlan Ellison, and the bitter irony that we've lost both of those guys in the last month, and uh, and Harlan introduces Ditko's piece, and everyone else is on camera. Ditko isn't on camera, lets his art kind of do the visuals while he speaks about his objectivism uh, theories. And yeah, he's, he, no, he's a fascinating guy. He, uh, he's the JD, he's the JD Salinger of comics. I, I said that on social media. And uh, if, if Bendis is the Orson, or if, uh, as Bendis says, if Starenko is the Orson Welles of comics, then I think uh, Ditko is the JD Salinger. And, um, that's that's a that's totally fair. Or the Bill uh, Bill Watterson might be. Honest. Bill Watterson I mean, is another uh, even more you know, if there could be two Bill Watersons of comics, Steve <laughs> and Steve Ditko, yeah. Or is Watterson another Ditko? Uh, yeah, I I just want I, I feel like that the, the Watterson and Ditko had some like they had lunch every Thursday. And... <laughs> you talk you to, think they're you still talk talking Paul. about us? Yeah, I think so. Okay, like you I, you talked to Paul Levitz. Every, Paul Levitz has stories has the best stories about Ditko, and I was like. Yeah, which is about everybody. He just he, oh, you know, sure. he's been in comics since he was thirteen. Sure. You know, 
And uh, and I was, I was like, Paul, tell me about Dicko. And he's like, oh, Dicko, yeah, yeah. Paul ran right into the street, and I'd see him all the time. Like, hey, you know, wave at him, and he waved at me. And I was like, I was like, there are three extant pictures of him. You couldn't just like sneak a camera out and just fucking. <laughs> you know, I was like, you see him in the street, just come and clack. Yeah. Hey, can I get a selfie, this Steve? Um, I, I, you know, and and I said this, and I meant it. I'm if people didn't see my tweet, as much as we're all sad and talking about him, he would hate this. I mean, I think he'd be more sympathetic to yourself as a as a fellow comic creator, and that is the continuing story that I hear is that privately, creators would just you know, hey, I think you're great or whatever, and he would respond and and you know would be as kind as some as other times when he would blow people off. Um, but yeah, I think the the cult of personality and cele- the idea of celebrity is really something he absolutely objected to. And again, I I just point that out the irony that this poor man has died and well it's just like poor uh, sir alec guinness who is this incredible actor and sadly most people under you know 40 know him best as obi-wan kenobi as opposed to this amazing body of work that he did for most of his adult life you know <laughs> my favorite if you're on youtube my if you want just some some fun comic moments there's, there's two great steve dicto ones of course that he's not involved in either of them uh the, the the Mary Marvel Society, yes, like the, the record, little, little record, the flexi record, yes, that yeah was the took fle- you behind the scenes of uh, Marvel in the '60s, and then you hear a lot of the people on the bullpen. Yeah, you hear you hear Jolly Jack has something to say, and then when they get to Steve Ditko, obviously he wouldn't do it, so they're like, Steve just jumped out the window. We almost caught him. You know, like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and. Uh, the other one is, and it's fascinating from a comics history point of view, there's a just audio of uh, Stanley at Princeton. It's got to be 66 or 67. And he's talking to a bunch of, you know, when they, you know, like Marvel Comics were all the hype. They were the pop, you yeah. know, pop phenomenon yes. in 67. So at the colleges, and Stan would give college tours. To sort lectures, of yeah. Lectures, bask in the glow of it and spread the word, spread the gospel. And he and he's and, and they caught him at this time where he and, and it was it was like two days after Dicko had left his famous note where he's like, I'm off. And you can you can literally hear like Stan's the pain in Stan's voice when someone asks him, you know, what's going on with Spider-Man? He's like, we're getting a new artist. You're going to love it. And like he's just like, like nothing's changed in 50 years. He can't reveal the name. He's like, oh, I can't tell you who it is. It's going to be great. And then you just kind of feel like, why, why, why did he leave? And you can kind of hear Stan like like literally like hesitate. And you can hear him be like, I He's like Steve is a you know he's a complicated guy and he just you can just you can the feelings of like here's a guy that Stan had collaborated with and created something that'll last you know the lifetime of the, of the planet with and he just kind of never understood each other these two human beings and um, I think it's just it's just a fascinating tale of humanity and creativity if you're, anyone's interested in that again and because much like Kirby with the fourth world you know Ditko goes to DC and you know gives us the Hawk and Dove and gives us the creeper, and then goes to Charlton, and we, we get the question. Um, you know, and if my chronology is not correct, forgive me, kids. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think, you know, and even Mr. A, I, I just think everything he did afterwards. And as you said, of breaking down uh, heroes and villains, um, that that origin of Doctor Strange is just so classic noir. I think that and the Daredevil origin story are, like, the two best examples of, like, Marvel noir you know, in its original form and everything, and without uh, trying to do noir as they've done in subsequent decades and stuff, that they were just, they're they're just these great grubby little street stories, both of them. 
And uh, and then of course you know I, I love you know I, I'm, I'm I've always been a Doctor Strange fan from day one. Son of Origins of Marvel Comics was my introduction to Doctor Strange, and we got the origin, and then we also got a a seventies Marvel story, and then I bought like you know the Treasury Edition Doctor Strange, and you know really just jumped in feet first, and you know Starlin and Englehart and all these wonderful writers. I just talked about it with Wade, how much I love Doctor Strange. You know Jason Aaron just did a great job. Donny Cates just did a great job. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know. and also Denny's transformation of the question, Denny O'Neill. Oh yeah, uh, you know which he even says, you know, kind of went against the grain of what Ditko was originally doing with the character. But I love, I love the original stories, and I really did love what uh, Denny did and Dennis Cowan with the question. Yeah, so that's just a classic DC uh, run. I just ran to Dennis Cowan at a, at a con, totally fanboyed out on him. He's amazing. Yeah, I got to got to do a panel with him in. Uh, Indiana at a at a con in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, it was great. And I've been trying to get it back ever since, and it's been tough. But no, I'm a huge fan, so I'm hoping one day, one day, one so day. There's our, there's our uh, Steve Ditko hunk. That was good. <laughs> Harlan Ellison, you ever meet him? You ever meet Harlan? No, I wanted to. I, I I wanted him to hate something I wrote, so he would write me a nasty note so I could be on the list. He, hate, he, he hated I, the fact he was having trouble getting a word balloon uh, episode downloaded. Uh, so that <laughs> that happened, uh, and I and I sent him a CD to uh, <laughs> to make it easier for him. You're a good man. No, I mean, I, I, I love the documentary about him. I mean, he's I was so he was one of the ones that hits you where it's just. I'm of that age now where the generation above me is kind of disappearing and you like, you kind of hope they stay around cause you're next, you know? Um, uh, just the idea of him sitting, sitting, you know, smoking his pipe live on TV, writing a short story and like someone's still connected with that and alive. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Oh, it's sad he passed. My, my thing with Harlan is, uh, this is, this is a stupid thing. Can I tell you a yeah, stupid please. thing about Harlan? Uh, so when I was, again, this is going back. This is like high school, 15, 16. So, uh, Entertainment Weekly did like an all Star Trek issue. Um, and they talked about, obviously Harlan wrote the best episode of Star Trek ever, um, City on the Edge of Forever. And uh, and, 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 there were, and and it ended, and I, I didn't know who Harlan was back then, but it ended with sort of an, an extra of, of like the behind the scenes of city on the edge of forever and why it went so wrong. Harlan walked away from it and hates that. Episode. Yes, I know. Yes. And, uh, and, and if, if, um, and there's a great IDW just did a great recreation of his original script. Yes. Uh, uh, JK Woodward uh, so he, uh, drew, painted that actually. Yes. JK Woodward's beautiful. It's my favorite thing that JK's done. I have a JK piece above my wall right here. Uh, and, and so, um, uh, he wrote this extra, and in the extra, he t- he tells the behind-the-scenes story and, and kind of why he hates Shatner and why he hates Nemo and why everything's terrible. You know, he's, he's, he was dyspeptic, and uh, and at the very end, I remember this so specifically as a kid. He's like, and now that I've said all that, that wasn't actually the truth. What actually happened was something much worse, but I'll never tell. <laughs> and then he just ended it there. And I remember he's like, what happened? What didn't you tell? Was that one of his sci-fi editorials that he used to do on the Sci-Fi Channel? It was just an article on EW oh, from 30 years okay. ago. Yeah, it was, just, it was just something in the back of a Star Trek special that I poured over as a kid that I was a Star Trek Okay, character. okay. And I, and I was just like, well, you're just imagining, you're like, did, did you and Shatner go to some weird drug orgy? Like, what <laughs> happened? 
Like, were you standing naked saying, I am the Eggman? And then he's like, we're fucking, we're taking the first 10 pages out of your script. Like, no. Because um, he, um, like, my imagination went wild with it. He, um, you know, he wrote a book before the IDW adaptation that included his original uh, version of the script. And it had a big forward explaining, you know, what frustrated him and everything. And it, you can find it. It's, it's, uh, I want to say it was his publishing company, White Wolf that put it out and maybe white wolf is in his company um but i remember buying it it was a soft it was a soft cover uh like the size of a trade paperback i wonder if he told the truth then or whether he just regurgitated the false story well, i'm not sure actually now that you say that but um no it's and and the idw adaptation is fantastic and absolutely worth getting uh anytime jj yes. anytime jk paints a star trek uh, story it's in your best interest to get it because he really, he clearly loves Star Trek. The Star Trek Planet of the Apes crossover was ridiculously good. And I'm still kicking myself that I didn't buy some of those limited prints that he had of like Spock in like uh, an ape uh, jail cell or uh, Shatner and or Kirk and um, Nova together in a wagon hiding the way uh, Charlton Heston and, and Taylor and Nova hide in a wagon. Just good crap like that. Ridiculous. Yeah. I had a chance to buy a page from that JK book and I didn't buy it because I was an idiot because it was it was too big. I was like, eh, it won't fit on the wall, but I was in the wall. I have a Star Trek page on my wall. I have a Kurt Swan page uh, from he, from something he, him and Peter David did. I had no idea Kurt Swan ever drew Star Trek. That's fantastic. Yeah, he, I, have a, I have a Kurt Swan Shatner from a a, be, a beautiful story. My a be, Peter David did where he told the story backwards. And it was a story about Scotty and like it was Scotty getting younger as he sort of went through this romance. I ripped it off for my first Grayson issue where I told the story backwards. Yes, so I remember that. I yes, a, yes. I have, a, I have a page of it up on my wall. I have one Kurt Swan page. It's a Lois and Clark page that uh, Tex – and now I'm last – was it Tex Sullivan? I forget who is uh, the last name of uh, Tex the anchor. Tex Blaisdale. Tex Blaisdell, who was also a uh, Kubert School teacher. Um, so it wasn't a Murphy Anderson ink page, but it was a text place that was pretty cool too. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, them at the, uh, Capitol, uh, in DC and they're in the commissary where you can get the Navy bean soup that is so famous for the, uh, the cafeteria <laughs> of the Capitol. And I've had that. I, I, have you had that experience? Have you eaten the Navy bean soup? Yes. There you go. Yes, I, I, figured, the Navy I figured as a Washingtonian that you've done that. Um, well, you know, and I guess, shame on me, Isaac Goodhart, I would have asked this when we were talking about Mr. Miracle, but maybe there's something in here that uh, Tom hasn't addressed. Um, all right, hit me up, more questions. Let's see. Well, first of all, um, he, you did say which came first, the idea to write about a depressed superhero, or was it that organic direction to take Mr. Miracle? Uh, I'll ask the rest of them, and you can tell me if there's something else that you can uh, speak of here that we haven't already covered. What makes Mr. Miracle the perfect superhero for this kind of story? And then he says, this is my favorite book on the stands right now. Thanks, John. Keep up the great work. Isaac Goodhart, fine artist. He did Postal with uh, your co-Batman oh, yeah. writer, uh, Brian, uh, give me my middle name, Hill. <laughs> yes. What's, uh, Brian's middle, what's Brian's other name? Don't ask me hard. All right, sorry. Edwards. Sorry, Brian. I apologize. Edward, Edward, Brian Edward. Brian Edward, Edward, Edward I believe, is correct for 20 points. Let's now move on to Thanks. Potent Jeez, Potables for 50. <laughs> So I met Brian. He's awesome. That's excellent. I I, uh, I have to confess, I just bought the first two issues of his detective run, and I want to dive into it because I know he's a fine writer. Um, he op- I, I mean, I mean, I, I need a. T- I, I, he he opened his story with um, talking about Batman has has a nightmare, which I'm 
I, I want to ask him if that's a tribute to the Marshall to the Inglehart run we were seeing earlier because my favorite panel of Batman ever is from the Inglehart run where Batman wakes up in the middle of the night having a nightmare and he's like, I don't have nightmares, I give nightmares. <laughs> favorite Batman panel of all time. That's awesome. So, uh, and I wonder if I wonder if he dedicated it to. I've been meaning to text him. That's excellent. Um, and anyways, uh, yes, uh, Mister Miracle. Why is he the perfect character to tell this story? Uh, I mean, the thing about Mister Miracle that makes him unique in looking at him uh, is the pack, right? Like that's the genius behind all of Kirby's new god. It's this bizarre thing where, where basically, the god and the de- god and the devil trade children. And the, the the son of God, the sort of Jesus allegory, is raised by the devil, and the son of the devil is raised by God. And the idea of Mr. Miracle of sort of being given up by your father to be raised in hell and having that be your childhood. And then when you sort of come into life, your superpower, your your the focus of your life is escape. I mean, that's what you do. You perform escapes. That's your superpower. That's everything you, you do is about escapes. That obviously has to be tied into sort of the pain of that moment, the pain of being given up and the pain of living in torture and being raised in torture. Mm-hmm. So the, what a childhood like that, how that would impact a person is obviously sort of the story of Mr. Miracle, how he overcomes that or doesn't overcome it. And then that's the first half of Mr. Miracle. And of course, the second half of Mr. Miracle, just as important as that pain is Barda. And looking at how he found love in in the midst of that pain, um, I mean, my my it's it's funny. My stories have changed. I, I had one theme, and then I I changed to a different theme. Uh, uh, when I, when I first started writing comics, when I did Vision, the, the sort of trilogy of good intentions, I call it. Uh, the Vision, Sheriff, and Omega Men. I, I, I was writing a lot of different stories in different genres, but it was basically the same story where it was like a person comes to a situation trying to do good and it all falls apart. And I think that was basically a metaphor for how I felt about my CIA experience, where I just had basically good intentions, but the world was much too complicated and things kind of fell apart. And that was like my theme I was doing over and over again. Then in April of 2016, I had this sort of panic attack thing I've talked about a lot. And uh, since then I'm writing this sort of themes over and over again where I'm, I, I'm continually writing about sort of people who, who have pain in their life and how they use love to fight that pain. And then, and, and you see that in Batman, you see that in Mr. Miracle, I'm sure you'll see that in Heroes in Crisis. And, and then that, that's what made Mr. Miracle special is both that he had the pain and the love and, and how those two things go together and how they don't is sort of the theme of the book. That's very cool. boy. Uh, Kelly, Kelly, Kelly Sue put out a thing like name a writer and what their great theme was and I was like that's stupid no, no one will name me and nail mine someone put Tom King um, work life balance is tough but you get through it if you love someone I was like ah! oh, that, yeah that's pretty, that's pretty much it <laughs> that's good absolutely that's great never mind yeah. about those uh, 75 comic books I just read yeah that, this guy gets it alright there you go yeah, I was like, I, I got to be deeper. I got to think of something else. <laughs> Have you had a chance to meet uh, Kelly Sue? I had met her at this recent summit that you were talking to yeah. Brian about, uh, which was a fascinating sort of exercise. And she was delightful. Yeah. I mean, that's not oh, a shock please. to say, but not 
But, I mean, you expect her to be delightful, but she was also very uh, insightful in terms of how stories work yep. and in terms of uh, what amazed me about her is her sort of understanding the power behind some of the cliches. Like, she's like, this is why this cliche exists. I mean, she like literally took me aside and was like, this is why you see this and this is why it works this way. And, this, and I was like, oh, my God, like blowing my mind. Um, so, yeah, she was she was utterly delighted. I'm, she was I'm the best. Surprised. Tell me how the writing, as much as you can, how the writing retreats have changed, if they've changed, uh, from from your first rebirth talks with whomever you had to what's going on now. Well, it's hard to say they've changed because none of them have been the same. Okay, okay. <laughs> So it's not like there was like a sort of a consistent drum beat and then like there was a cymbal. It was like the drums and then the guitar and then the cymbal it was like there's not a pattern to break. I mean, like my first retreat was the DCYOU so fondly remembered. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, and that was very big and corporate. Like it was – you know, they invited every single person and they wanted to impress us. So like we got tours of stuff and it was, you know, we went on the Warner Brothers lot and here's fancy things. And they got us all in a big lecture hall and then they sort of made presentations to us and, but not very interactive. Okay. Um, in terms of sort of creators creating, I mean, you always have, uh, I mean, I, I was the new guy. Like I had, at that time, I just had Omega Man and half of Grayson. Yeah. And so I was, I was like, just don't get fired. Just don't get fired. Just don't get fired. <laughs> I understand. Like, like, if they ask you a question, your answer is don't get fired. <laughs> um, but we didn't like, we didn't present our ideas. Maybe you met the, 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 the most important thing that happened at that conference. That I remember was taking Scott aside, Scott Snyder didn't know him back then. And, and because I had just gotten, uh, I, I, I was reading Scott's stories and seeing what a success they were. And I was like, how does he do this? Like, what could he tell me the secret of it? And, uh, and I, I think I literally asked him that question cause I'm so fucking subtle. I was like, what, how do you do? And, 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 and he was so kind and sort of was, he's, he's, he's like in the first issue, I raised the stakes a billion percent. And he's like, and I tell my audience that this is what is at risk. And, uh, it was, and I was like, oh, and I mean that changed how I, I'd already written Omega Man, but that if you look, if you look at Vision Number One, you'll see Scott's influence on that page right there, where it was like, Vision Number One has a voice from the future that tells you like, this is the stakes, this is how big this story is going to be. And I was like, that's how I literally stole that from Scott Snyder from that. So anyway, that and then um, subsequent to that, the conferences have been. Uh, sort of more like smaller events. Like we'll have a back conference where we'll get together and, and do these sort of things. This was the first one. This one, this was, this was new. Was, I feel it was more Marvel style. So everyone said I've never been to a Marvel retreat, but where like we all, the idea here was everyone present their ideas to everyone so that that's how a shared universe works. So everyone sort of knows what everyone's working sure. on so that we can, we can have the moment where, uh, you know, Thor flies in the background. And is like, I'm off on my way to, to fight Odin. Cause he's gone evil. And then power pack is like, Oh, there's Thor. He's going to fight Odin. And they wait. You know? <laughs> um, so th th that, that was the 
concept that if we all need to know each other's ideas so that we can combine these ideas into one great story. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was, it was eye-opening. I don't think I was, I had come off of, I was in, I was in a week of, of nervous terror because I had done Seth, My- I was like, I went and did Seth Meyers and then Denver con and then LA was next. And so I was like in my fifth city in four days and so, and I, and there was a fuck up with my flights only four hours. And then I had to, I had to sort of present them with sort of my story ideas. And, uh, I don't think I did this good job as I could have, but the ideas are solid. It was, I was the unsolid. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mitch Gozer asks, when did you get the concept for the nightfall of the heart? Also, and you kind of answer this, but we'll see if there's more there. Also, where the heck did that term get coined? I saw it in a bunch of places, and I don't know who nicknamed it that. That's the first I've seen it. I, can, I don't know. Because, I mean, it sounds good. clearly, as you, as you explained, Bane's, you know, reason of, of existing is to break the bat. So I guess this story really is the nightfall of the heart. Where did I get the concept from? I stole it from Frank Miller. Don't tell people that. This is just between is you this, and me. Is John. this born again, basically? Is this Kingpin's? Yeah, or it's it. And I, I love the idea of a, of a, of a, of a villain going scratch, scratching at that thing in a superhero that he doesn't want scratched. Batman doesn't mind if you punch him in the face. Batman doesn't. But what's the point? And that—that's what Born Again was. Where he's like, you're not even a fucking lawyer anymore. Yeah. You're nothing. Yeah, you're nothing. And. And 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 how Daredevil responded to that. I've always thought that's just the it's the best ending in the history of comics. He shouldn't have signed it. It's just the best cliffhanger in the history of comics. And uh, so I stole it from Frank Miller. But but if anyone asks, I got it from numerous sources and and, and, and created it all by myself too. <laughs> I love that first splash page after he breaks him, and he's clearly in some sort of hovel. You know, just kind of like living almost, almost like a homeless person, where he's sleeping on yes. the floor and he's just completely disheveled and everything. Uh, God, I love Born Again. Born Again was ridiculously great, and uh, every every it's, moment. It's, God, when he saves Karen's about to kill herself, and he shows up, and then they're just you know on the on their knees crying and everything. Oh my God, I'm, they're like ugh. Born Again makes me angry. And this is why Born Again makes me angry. There's probably seven panels on which Captain America appears in Born Again, and it's the best Captain yes. America story in the history of the media. <laughs> Captain America has been written for 80 years. He's as old as Batman, and seven fucking panels as a side character in a Daredevil story are the best he's Absolutely. ever been. When he's trying to get Nuke's information, and yeah, yeah. and he's, he's like, frustrated because he's like, I gotta use a computer. It's like, I'm not an old man. I can do this. And it's, you're right. I, I think Brubaker and I talked about it during his cap run. Where it is, yeah. No, Frank Miller distilled, like you said, in seven panels, exactly who Captain America is. Yeah, he's like, why did he have to wear the flag? All the best lines, you know. It's it's not about the thing; it's about the dream. All the, yeah, ah, fucking Frank yeah. Miller. That guy's, you yeah. know. And and yeah, have you have you had conversations since? Has he has he commented on your Batman at all? Oh, Frank is like a friend now. He's like a legitimate friend. Like I like know him and talk to him and text with him. Uh, yeah, I he he's a genius of comics. If, if I had a Mount Rushmore of comics, it would be Frank Miller, Alan Moore, uh, Stanley, and Jack Kirby. And good. Uh, the fact that I know one of them personally, and I can hang out, and like like I'm going to hang out with him next week at Comic Con, oh. like we scheduled it. 
like me and Frank. Or, did I tell my, my favorite Frank story? I'll probably tell this already, but I'm going to tell, tell it. it. I like it so much. Uh, so last year, after I after the Eisners, we, John was with me at the Eisners. Yes, indeed. Me uh, and Constance, I went yes, to, indeed. Me and Constance. I went at, at uh, these two awards, and I went to lunch the next day with Jim Lee and Frank Miller. And it was like the fancy restaurant in Comic Con, and like you know, like the, the game, the Game of Thrones cast was sitting next to us at the, at the next table, and I'm like trying to play it cool. <laughs> uh, but like they less interest me to nerd out than Jim Lee and Frank Miller. I was like, oh my god, this is just a distillation of everything I love yeah. in life. And uh, and I wasn't as close to I knew Frank a little bit, but I wasn't like as close to him maybe as I am now. And Jim's trying to tell Frank why he's having a fucking meeting with this stupid writer. And and so Jim's like, Frank, you know, Tom won two Eisners last night. And Frank has a nice long pause and he's like, I think I have 21. <laughs> you have never so successfully seen a man just flop his dick out on the table and just be like, well, I guess I got a giant one. I don't know what happened. That's awesome. God was kind to me, Tom. Uh, I was just, I was, I was like, okay, thanks. I'll put my little two over here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to continue to look and see if there are other questions here. We've, uh, are we going to see a Green Arrow Batman crossover or a story where they partner up to defeat a bit villain? Says uh, Sub Hamrocks or no, not in the current plans i thought they, they make a good team i liked i'd like them to team up i don't have any current plans for that what what i want to see and what we're there you know there used to be a grand tradition of the flash and green lantern who cross over sort of once a year and it was done for years and years and years and years and years and we did that flash batman crossover and i'd love to pay tribute to that flash green lantern to, to, do, to sort of make it that, that into a tradition where Flash and Batman crossover. Uh, and it's surprising they don't do it more because them both being uh, police detectives in their own way and everything. And, and you wonder if you have more time to get into what Bruce thinks of Barry as a criminologist and everything. Does he respect him? Does he think he plays too much by the rules? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Those are, I think, areas to be explored. And they both have dead mothers. So they can mourn that. And... That's true, too. That's And again, you know, in no surprise, Jeff Johns, that great moment in Flashpoint with Bruce, with Thomas's letter, which, again, piques our interest into what's to come of Pl- Flashpoint Batman and what he knows about his uh, his son. I know. And what we saw, too, in The Button, of course. Well, I remember the last time we saw Thomas Wayne, he was in The Button, and he was saying, don't become Batman. That was the last thing he said to Bruce. That's right. That's right. Uh, or but it wasn't the exact last. But it wasn't there. <laughs> I, if anyone yeah. – while, while, while you're looking, I will pitch Josh Williamson. Uh, Flash 50 came out and you should read the shit out of that because it is – Excellent. I read, it, I read it today. I, I bought it and uh, that was my first read of the, of the pile even before Superman 1, dare I say it, because I really wanted to know uh, how things were going to get resolved. And they haven't been resolved. That's part of the beauty of uh, Flash War. It has an ending, and it has a definite ending, but uh, uh, it opens up a new door for, I think, all three characters. Yeah, so good. Josh is so good. Yeah, man, he's. Uh, a, we finally have touched base to talk soon. I figured I'd wait till after Comic-Con. You're breaking my heart with all your what you're going to do at Comic-Con stuff. I'm not going this year, so I won't see you. No, you won't be on the boat. We have a boat. Oh, man. Who's got a boat? I have a boat. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Me and Jeremy Hunt did that a few years ago. Go on. <laughs> that's great. We're doing a big – oh, am I allowed to talk about this? Oh, who cares? We're doing a big uh, Heroes in Crisis event, and it's going to be on this – it's going to be on a boat. And we're doing like a whole special – I can't. I, you'll you'll see it when at Comic Con because it, it'll yeah, stick we'll, out we'll, as something as something utterly unique. <sighs> but uh, I wish you would be there because. Oh, me too, bud. Damn it! <laughs> That's like a New York a couple of years ago where Ben is like, "Hey, come hang out to me and Eddie Izzard." I'm like, oh, "I can't go this year. I just had surgery." <laughs> but I, you know, I'm going to Comic Con. Son of a. I'm what? going to Comic Con late this year because there's the All Star Game is in DC and I live. Uh, I live in downtown DC, not far from the stadium. So I got to take my stupid son to a baseball game on Tuesday. So that's fantastic. Why. That's amazing. Yeah, that's whatever. Oh my god! It's one of the yeah, exactly. It's one of those things like your kid is nine. <laughs> he's obsessed with baseball. The All Star Game is down the street. Are you not going to take him? What kind of father are you? Good for yeah. You're a good dad. That's fantastic. That's awesome, man. Dude, he's going to remember that for his entire life. That's wonderful. Yeah, well, we'll he better remember. You're a good dad. You're a good dad. No, no. So yeah, absolutely. No. that's beautiful. Yeah, so man. Huge. I'm going on. Usually, I come in on Tuesday, so I'll be on Wednesday this year. My schedule is packed. I have, don't think there's a free moment in my entire schedule from Wednesday to Sunday night. I now stay over Sunday night because this can't, can't possibly be a secret. Because I usually leave sun, Sunday afternoon, but last year I discovered there's like um, there's a the dead dog party. a dead dog party. Do you know about this? I do know about the Dead Dog Party. I've had the pleasure. It's a fantastic thing. I, yes, indeed. I went to it for the first time last year. It was the most fun. It, was, it is. Fun. If, if so, I don't know if people know, but it's it's yeah, it's been running people. for yeah. thirty some odd years, and it's it's uh, it's 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 comic creators of the last thirty years sort of getting together to celebrate that you sort of made it through Comic Con, and so you go and there's like last year. I remember like you know. I sat down at a table and like my table was me, Dan DiDio, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, um, and 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 Walt Simonson, and we were just sitting there having you know like hey, yeah, that's beautiful, that's excellent, yep, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you just sit and you, I you know obviously I love old time comics and I just sit there and I just listen to the old the stories about old comics and it's it's, it's the best time I had a comic con last year so. I hear you. Um, no, it's I'm a great party. It's a terrific. Incredibly party. looking forward to, to just that to hearing. I, I like old stories about how Mort Weisinger was an asshole. They're just the best. Yeah. No. Agreed. And and uh, you know my my few uh, uh, encounters with uh, Paul Levitz. No, I, those are the kind of stories. Or got to you know whenever I get to hang with Marty Pasco, I always uh, I, I always pump him for Bronze Age information and stuff and what it was like during his time at DC. Uh, no, I get, and same with Walter for that matter. Simonson's amazing that way too. Good stuff, man. Hilarious. Um, oh, here's a good one. Um, Scary, I'm assuming is how you say uh, your name there. And it's, it's a woman, I believe. Uh, how hard, how hard was it for you to write issue 50 for your Batman run? And also she wants to know, will you be at Los Angeles Comic-Con this year? I will not be at Los Angeles Comic-Con. I'm sorry. Well, I'm doing 11 cons this year, and it's way too many uh, already. And I'm probably will cut back next year just because I'm not getting enough family time. I just want to make sure I get enough time with the kids. Sure. And if you do, I try to do one a month, which seems doable when I do it. But the one a month means you know you don't, you know every third weekend you're you're away, which is just it's a lot. Uh, 
totally. This, uh, what was the first part of the question? I got stressed. How hard was it for you to write issue fifty for your Batman? Oh, it was hard as fuck. It was a hard issue to put together. <laughs> sure. Which makes me all the more mad that it got spoiled because God, we worked so hard on that issue. Uh, the reason it was hard was because before any of all that stuff about the covers and all that stuff, the the idea that, that we were going to create an issue that was a celebration of Batman and the way we were going to do this was to get 20 of the best artists who had ever worked on Batman to draw pages again. Yeah. And not just to do them as pinups in the back, but to incorporate them into the story. Yep. Um, and, and, and how that could all work was just technically very difficult because you're dealing with 20 different egos and 20 different people and 20 different schedules. And, uh, and and when, when I see people, I mean, this is the first time Frank Miller's been in a Batman book since year one. This is the first time Jim Lee's been in a Batman book since Hush, I think. Uh, you know, it's the first time Paul Pope's been in the main, the main book, um, bringing Tim Sale back into the book. I mean, the, yeah. the, these these are these were huge names. Uh, and, 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 so, and, so, and then half of them were people who had done historic runs on the books. Uh, people like Becky Cloonan, the first woman to ever draw Batman. And then the other half... Uh, were sort of people to celebrate that we had gotten through these 50 issues. It is, I know my, I, I live a very gifted life. So it's, but, but to, to me, it was an accomplishment to put out 50 issues of Batman double ship, have them all sell over a hundred thousands so that there was, you know, like that's, that's just never been done before. Um, I'm bragging. I'm sorry. I, I hate to brag, but, uh, and we wanted to sort of celebrate that. And, and so we got all the artists that we'd worked on to get these 50 issues out, to get a, a page of each of them in there. So th that combination and, and making sure it was part of the story. And then, so that was half of it. And the other half of it was, was working with Mikkel so that every page in the book, besides the first and the last, is a parallel page. That's hard to write, too. So, so like the left page parallels the right page. Um, and the same with the splashes. So, so to write in that method where you knew if you, you did a story about Catwoman, it had to be this many panels arranged in this way. And a story about Batman, it had to be this many panels arranged in that way. And to make sure the parallels were annoying, but kind of cool. So it was just a generally a technically hard issue to write. Um, the lucky thing about the whole thing is that my, my wife has green eyes. So <laughs> if you read the issue, a lot of it is about Catwoman's eyes and describing them and how they work and how, how they describe that person and that's just me talking about my wife so that's it that was the easy that's awesome. that was the easy that's i got lucky there uh <laughs> and um i wish i had pure blue eyes like bruce but i don't um <laughs> and uh so yeah it was it was it was hard not not as as difficult as it was to write it was more difficult to sit there for those four days and have everyone hate it that was the hardest part for me. i understand bud yeah yeah but well that's okay um. Well, here's a two-part question from uh, Fioretin, and that's the Twitter handle. Uh, what are you most interested in writing after Batman? I don't know if you can answer that or not. Also, any chance we'll see more Robins appearing in Batman? I think I know the answer to that. Yes. Uh, first question is first. What am I interested in writing after Batman? Uh, I think so. I'm going to be having Batman in two years. And yeah, two more years. Two yeah. more years. I think I'm going to radically restructure sort of my workload in life. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to change sort of things. Um, Interesting. I, uh, just in terms of how much I work on this and how much I work on that. I have this TV thing that keeps inching forward. I don't really 
I, I kind of don't want it to inch forward because I, I like writing comics more than TV. But if it keeps inching forward, it's going to need more of my time at some point. Um, Is this Sheriff of Babylon or something? No, different? it's something completely different. I'm writing this TV show that keeps getting, you know, like you just keep waiting for that Hollywood moment where they're just like, no, it's not going to happen. But it, sure. it, you just, so you don't pay attention to it, but it keeps moving. I, I don't know. Anyways, I'm lucky to be honest. Interesting. That's great. Um, I assume you can't say more than that about it. No, I can't say anything more than that. It'll just be, it'll be announced. So, uh, well, if, if that... Fingers crossed. If that, no, I don't know if it's fingers crossed. I'm not sure I want it to happen. <laughs> I like writing comics. I don't love writing TV, but it's hard to resist sort of that medium, you know? Sure. Uh, it, it, just because of the audience and the... Uh, I don't know, the potential... The freedom? I don't know, the potential of... I feel like modern, like when I, I remember watching Mad Men, being like, "Oh, this is what novels are. This is what novels should be." That the whole culture talking about something that's trying to touch something deep. Same with like The Wire and stuff like that. So you want to try to do that? Sure. Anyways, um, so I think after Batman, I'm gonna. I mean, I, I'll probably change this all in two years. Who knows how things will work out? But I'm gonna do something different. I don't know. I'm gonna. I, I don't know if I'm gonna go back on sort of a monthly book or not. I don't know, but, but you know, listen to this in two years and be like, "Oh, Tom's full of shit." He immediately took over Green Arrow or something. <laughs> uh, Josh Sapien asks, "Where is Sheriff of Babylon too?" I think you've asked this before in previous podcasts, but for Josh's uh, purposes, I'll let you answer. Sheriff Babylon is on my computer in my hard drive. It's written, and uh, the only person who will ever draw Sheriff will be Mitch Garretts, who I'm currently doing Mister Miracle with, and uh, so. We have to finish Mr. Miracle first, and then we'll see what happens to the Sheriff after that. Um, so I, I, I think season two is much better. I, lo- I think season one maybe the best thing I ever wrote, and I think season two is better. So hopefully that comes out soon. Uh, Jimmy Dunn, if you could bring one Marvel character into DC continuity to use in your Batman run, who would it be? Oh, man, that's a good question. Yeah, that is a good question. Uh my favorite Marvel character is The Thing. I wish I could write him. I love that character. I love the idea that he's too ugly to quit. Just like you just can't you can't keep it down. He's just gonna he's just too ugly to quit. Um, so that's interesting. I and I don't think like there's something scrappy and street level about him that doesn't. There's no DC equivalent of that character. There's no yeah. So I guess The Thing. I don't think. Is there? That's uh, interesting. Yeah. The DC, DC characters are so. I mean, the way was just, just such a shocker to say this, but they're so lofty. They're so they're much more perfect than Marvel characters. Someone, Absolutely. And that's a product of. I mean, I have a whole theory about this. Um, tell me. Have I told you my theory on this? No, tell me. So uh, this might be completely not true. So if this is not true, nobody listen to it. But I'm going to say it out loud, anyways. Uh, if if you talk to uh, Neil Adams. Uh, about like because if, if you, you you look at comics and um, Neil and Strank are the only people that were hired in comics for 20 years that's why there's that yep. there, there's a generation of artists that's just them two people yes yes uh, and because because in the in the 50s you know what happened to comics obviously everyone knows is is that they were they were incredibly on the rise and they sort of came into this cultural moment where everyone's like they have too much power over our children and they're making these incredibly um edgy stories right uh, right um it's very urban stories very bloody stories 
um, and uh, very cutting edge stories. And because of those, the whole industry got slapped across the face, basically. And it was in as, as, as there was an ethnic component because this was largely an industry of Jews, right? There was an ethnic there was an ethnic component of it. It's like it's almost like it was a little anti-Semitic. It was like you're too Jewy almost. It's it's you you have go back. You 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 need to create small simple stories. And <laughs> I know what you're saying. Go ahead. and uh, let's angle the, let's angle these people up a little. Yeah, bit, it people. was yeah, it was. Like, <laughs> I understand. It was this 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 idea, that, and that you couldn't. Um, you, it almost took the, the like you guys are writing about too much pain and agony. You need to make people. I mean, to the point where like the comics code was like you know every story the bad guy has to have the bad guy has to suffer and like there are actual like rules and like this has to be in and and comic book creators were literally scared. Not like in a oh like were, like they were literally scared that they would lose their lives and wouldn't be able to feed their children unless. Well, yeah, this was this was during McCarthyism when. A Senate hearing committee would make you shit your pants and make you think my my career might be on the line if I do the wrong thing. Yeah, and they made comics such. I mean, you can talk to to Neil about this. They made it so that if you were at a cocktail party, saying I write comics was the same as like today saying um, I, I'm I'm one I'm one of the the guards who separates children from their mothers. It's like you know it was like sure it it, sure. it, 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 it was like I'm I'm one of the problems with America. I'm a pornographer. I write pornography. Yeah, like, it was like, like you didn't sense. admit it. Stan, Stan Lee writes about this, that he would just tell people that he would be at a party, like, what do you do for this? I'm a writer. And when they'd ask the next question, he'd change the subject. Yep. Um, yep. So uh, now, now, during that time, that was the most fertile period for DC to create sort of its backbone of B-list characters, not the A-list guys. Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman came kind of before that. But the the B list guys, the um, Aquaman, Barry Allen, the Silver, mm-hmm. so, this what, what constitutes the beginning of the Silver Age, Hal Jordan, certainly, uh, yep. the Challengers of the Unknown, Adam Strange, and those guys are <laughs> cookie cutter white dudes with very little problems. <laughs> yes, yes, and they, to, to me, it reads when you read those comics, and they're brilliant comics. Man, Carmine Infantino could draw, um, and they're brilliantly done. But the, they're they're not characters who are experiencing pain. They're not characters who are experiencing doubts. They're not characters. Um, they're 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 god they're gods on they're as perfect as these people can be because they're trying to be perfect examples to perfect young children because the writers are scared of losing their jobs. That's I think I might that maybe not be true, but that's just a speculation. And that was that was the most fecund part. We're still build that that's the base of DC Comics. Are those years where right? now you you advance that seven years and you're in 1962 and Stan Lee and Jack Kirby make their characters. And because Stan Lee was like, fuck it because he was 40 and thought he was about to lose his job. And Jack Kirby is a crazy person. God bless him. They made characters who felt pain and guilt in a way that sort of DC comics didn't. And they seemed more human because they were, they were, they weren't writing in that sort of scared way. They were writing a little bit outside of that box, not a hundred percent, but a little bit outside of that box. Yeah. So I feel I feel like that's the difference between the two companies. It's like one was created in the midst of, um, in, in the in the midst of that fright, and one was just breaking out of it. Um, Agreed. And no, I like that. Sorry, yeah. that's a theory that might be totally false. I'm sure. Well, Franco's gonna listen and be like, "You don't fucking know." 
<laughs> I guarantee you, Stereco does not listen to the podcast. He does know who I am, but he does not listen to the podcast. But that said, I always felt uh, Busick in JLA and Avengers uh, with Perez uh, when the Marvel heroes come to the DC yeah. universe and they're on the DC Earth and they're like, everything's so clean. What? <laughs> they're just freaked out about how, how clean the place is and everything. And it's true. I, I think I think that's I think that those are apt descriptions of why they're different. And certainly, I do agree that that Marvel, uh, yeah, the Marvel superheroes were kind of a reaction to what was out there, and let's do it a little differently. And uh, you know, I mean, because even as much as you can find similarities between the Challengers and the Fantastic Four, there's a big difference there. I mean, and I think, and you know, like you said, I mean, they're 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 living with their mutations, the the four. Rather, you know, the challengers are living on borrowed time, but uh, they they seem to be handling it pretty well. I don't know if they're going to wind up in, uh, uh, you know, your your crisis uh, your crisis book. I have I, so to to um, anyone's anyone's been in my house, like you've all been in my house, but anyone who comes to my house, I decorate my bathrooms with cut out comics strips and Sunday comic strips. I, I cut them out of books and put them in frames and decorate them so the walls are sort of covered with comic strips. And uh, one of my favorites is a, is a Bloom County where some, something happens and Sir Opus is embarrassed. And it, it has underneath, it's, it, there's like commentary because it's from one of those books. And it has Berkeley Predator breathe. I don't know. Um, he, he, he's, he, he says, what I like about this strip is you can see my, my naked anxiety on this page because I have this exact fear. And that's why this is funny. And he's, he's like, when I read Peanuts... I see, I see Charlie, I see um, Sparky Schultz, of course, called, uh, anxiety on every page. I see his, I see, but he's like, when I read Doonesbury, I have no idea what Gary Trudeau is afraid of. Interesting. And, That's very and, interesting. And, and, I, and I, I think of that, like, when I read Flash 50, or Showcase 4, like, that's a brilliant fucking comic book. But oh, yeah. there is nothing in there that tells me what Bob Kaniger's craziness is. And Bob Kaniger was a crazy motherfucker. But when you read Fantastic Four 1, you see Stan Lee's kookiness in it. Like, you see his yeah. anxiety. You see his nervousness. You see himself putting himself into those characters. And I just – I that, that's, that's why Marvel has sort of a, that more humanity in it because they were, they were allowed to be more human in the that's interesting. You know, and, and I will say that I, I feel that way about the superhero books. Um, and I'm not sure exactly when, but it did seem like the war books had a little bit more go- – the DC war books had a little bit more going on where they were a little, a little more in touch with their feelings or whatever. Well, I, I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just projecting that on. I don't know how much of your – you've read G.I. Combat or some of the others. Well, I've read, our, our Army at War. Well, that's also all Bob Kaniger. Yeah, so you can see more of the Bob Kaniger stuff in that stuff, I think, if you look, especially when it goes on. Um, but even if you look at that stuff compared to what Kurtzman did over in um, Two Fisted Tales, yes, it's it's, it's pale in comparison. Agreed. Uh, no, you're right about that. That's true. So, uh, although it's drawn, I mean, God, those men. I mean, Joe Kubert. No one draws better than Joe Kubert. Uh, oh, and uh, uh, I was about to say Russ uh, and Russ Heath. Russ Heath. Yes, good lord. Uh-huh. No, those guys. And even uh, you know, God, uh, I always forget. But my, I, I had two encounters with Joe Kubert, and one of them, I had a war comic with me, and uh, and I'm, I, I believe, oh god damn it, was it Don Newton? I can't even remember who the artist was, but I was like, you know, I'm really not sure. It kind of looks like it might be uh, 
Chimapero, it kind of looks like it might be whatever. And, you know, literally like five seconds, you know, Takuba just looks like Danud. Thanks, man. And I don't think it was Don Newton, unfortunately. I wish I could remember specifically, but uh, yeah, I, I, you're, yeah, those those artists were incredible, and the covers, good. I bought a bunch of worn out, like you know, uh, ten cent late fifties DC War comics, purely for the Cubert covers, and they're so beautiful, they're so amazing, and and really, I, I, my intent is to eventually frame them and stuff. I haven't yet. I've got two uh, Nick Cardi Aquaman covers. One of them, the classic uh, oh. Black Manta cover, oh. and uh, you know, just that that whole period of Cardi when he really got experimental, and for for because you know, of course, the D, the old foggy DC guys thought that the DC checks were very mod and upbeat and very very modern, but really, Nick Cardi really like cut loose for like a year or two on Aquaman and T Titan covers that are just so spectacularly of the moment 100%. from an art style. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? When my little guy, my my, he's, he's four now, but when he was like one or two, he used to love to go through the Paul Levitt's giant DC book and just look at the pictures. Like it was like one of the things. Sure. And that's how he learned like his letters. He would like, like Superman was S. He'd be like S for Superman. And we got to Aquaman, that Q in the old Aquaman was shaped like a fish. So yes. so he would be like fish, Q, Q, fish, which had nothing to do with each other, but it was like the most adorable thing. So I have a, so I, I bought that comic and I have it. Up in my my office, just to always sort of remind me of my little kid point. Like he was so obsessed with Aquaman, the little cute fish from Nick Cardi. Sorry, that's, that story has nothing to do with anything. But do, no, do, you, do you know who I met? Who you have to have on your show? Tell me, uh, um, uh, uh, Joe Giella. I would love to have Joe Giella on the show, and I'm he's going to be at uh, I believe Terrificon in Connecticut, and I do I, I do intend if that's and I'm reasonably certain he will be there. Uh, this Terrificon, I'm sorry you're not going to be there at Mohegan Sun uh, for a moment. And I know, folks, we're, I am running the commercial for it. you got to go to the website and see the classic uh, creators that are going to be there. The easy ones are guys like Roy Thomas and Don McGregor. I met Roy Thomas once it did not go well. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm very sorry. To, I've, I've met him at cons, and he's always been very nice. And uh, Brian actually introduced me to uh, him uh, after a panel with him and Ramita Jr. Uh-huh. and they were all they were all together and everything. And I I know Johnny. Johnny's a great guy, and he's always been sweet to me as well. Uh, but uh, no, I would love to meet Giella because, uh, yeah, he's he's one of those great Silver Age uh, inkers that was so important for the the DC look and everything. And yeah, I mean you know, so I mean wasn't wasn't he with Infantino? Yeah, if not yeah. certainly of that era. He was Infantino's guy. Yeah, yeah he did all those classic Batman and, new look covers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Silver Age Batman at its best, and like you said, New Look Batman with the yellow when they when they flipped over and finally created the uh, the yellow insignia and everything. So I, you know, I was, as you, you might have heard because you told me you heard the Bendis tapes. I couldn't think of Dick Sprang's name the other day. I was yelling at you. I was like, should I tweet it I'm at sure him? I was like, it's Dick Sprang. <laughs> well, like I said, I know people who are listening are like, you idiot! How do you forget Dick Sprang? I love Dick Spring. I did a oh Dick, I did a not at all subtle Dick Spring joke in the War of Jokes and Riddles, where Joker has to just randomly go to a place and he goes to six, he goes to sixty nine sixty nine Dick Spring Avenue just as a joke. I am that not a great. subtle writer. As well. That was great in fifty. You had all the you had all the creator streets in there and everything. That was I awesome. had a ton. I put my favorite Batman writers in there. So there was Inglehart and Conway and yeah, O'Neill, O'Neill, yeah, and Wayne. Have you met? Have we talked about? Have you met Denny yet? I met Denny. Bef- 
before I heard there's some Denny stuff that's gonna come up that I'm gonna let talk about, but um yes, I met he was the nicest guy. I saw him at a He's amazing. I saw him, me and my buddy um CK were just walking through a con. He was sitting there. Nobody was at his table. It was ridiculous. And we walked up and we said hello to him. And we and we had just been talking to a creator who was being such a dick to us. And so we were like, man, creators are dicks. It was before I was in the industry and I really knew they were all dicks. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and we went up to – and he was as gracious and as just wonderful and warm and cool and, and yeah, warm. And He's the best. He's the best. I, uh, you know, his son Larry asked me at the end of last year, you know, let's do a new talk with Denny. And I'm like, oh, God, please. And, um, you know, when Denny's autobiography came out, we did the interview. Yes. Uh, in February. And he's going to be a terrific con. And I, and I can't wait to see him because it had been years in between that I haven't seen him face to face since a New York con, probably in 2009 or 2010, somewhere in that area. But always such a gentleman and, yeah, just a great guy. And, and truly, I mean, as you know, I mean, you're younger and everything. Those those Silver and Bronze Age guys, they were my childhood storytellers. And and it really, uh, you know, Elliot Magan and, and Marty Pasco And uh, I uh, I really have to talk to DC Publicity and, and find out how to get in touch with Carrie Bates. Because Carrie Bates, not only his wonderful Flash run, but also truly one of the great Superman and Justice League writers yeah. as well, yeah. and and I just I love his stuff. And man, I, do you did you read that story he did? He did in Elseworlds a couple years ago. That was what if the entire L family made it to Earth? No, I didn't. Read so it. it's Jor El, Lara, and and Baby Kel. I have it. And they, I have it on my shelf. I read it. It's so good. It is so good. And and it really is a very smart story. And um. I think stands with any modern story. It is not like, oh, look at this old fogey or anything. It is a really smart, clear, very interesting. What if Superman's story went this way instead? Yeah, I love it. it it's it's it really and it, it really flew under the radar because I think I'm. Did they finally collect it into a trade? I think I have it as a trade. I think I do somewhere on my shelf. Up, uh, I, I'm gonna have to look up on Amazon or eBay and see if I can find it. I get boxes of DC comps now. And I feel like I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, it's much you know, old carry." I didn't realize it was just a few years ago. All right, well, I'll have to read it now. Yeah, well, now now that I think about doing the math, it's probably from like 2010 or something like that, or 11. Uh, but it's it's incredible. It's definitely pre Flashpoint. Definitely pre Flashpoint. And again, it was always in Elseworlds. But uh, yeah, that's one of my favorites. I have. I'm looking at. Go ahead. I, I just saying I have found in sort of when I. When I want to relax and read some Batman comics, the ones that I keep going back to are the Conway ones and the Ween ones. There's just something very cool. Uh, two two other great guys, and I've had mm-hmm. the pleasure of talking to Len. And Jerry's been on the show a couple times, and uh, I had Len very briefly on the show a couple times, where literally they were convention ten minute like moments. Um, but I love Jerry Conway. Good lord, he's he's incredibly brilliant and. Still has it. I mean, his uh, Last Days of Animal Man story was fantastic. His Spider-Man uh, Renew Your Vows has been great. I've been, I've enjoyed that. I'm really glad he's back to writing comics. He's he's a wonderful creator. And, uh, yeah, very very smart dude. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, like I said, Elliot Magan as well. Love these guys. Uh, they, they, I think, can still write, you know, their asses off when, they, you know, when they're asked to and when they're able to. They're they're tremendous. So Conway's been been writing law, your favorite Law and Order episodes for the last twenty years. So yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. And, uh, and I believe Murder she wrote not that I or Diagnosis Murder, which I did watch because it's you know I heard Dick Dick Van Dyke and this is got twenty years ago. 
he did one of those Television Academy oral history interviews. And they're like, so diagnosis murder, what brought you back? He's like, well, Fred Silverman said, you know, think of it as Rob Petrie as a senior citizen. And I'm like, I would watch a television <laughs> yeah. show with Rod Petrie. I love Rod Petrie. And that is kind of how he played the doctor on Diagnosis Murder. And I'm like, you know, I like Dick Van Dyke. I forgot how much I like him. Because I thought, all right, it's another show for senior citizens. I'm not interested. And it's kind of cheesy here and there. But it's it's delightful. And there's, yeah. And, and also, they, much like comic books, had a lot of experimental fun. Like, I, you know, Mannix, it's tough to watch now. I'll admit it. But as a little kid, Mannix was, you know, absolutely my jam. I loved that show. And it's funny, like Seinfeld, what are you, Mannix? And it's true. He was just this all-action guy who got shot all the time. And he's on this one episode of Diagnosis Murder. Mike Connors comes back as Joe Mannix. And they even incorporate old footage from a 70s episode into the the new story. And Joe, Joe Joe Mannix is still, like, a senior citizen detective, still getting shot. And Dick Van Dyke is admonished. He's like, Joe, you really put yourself out too much. You're not a young guy. You're going to have a heart attack in the field if you're not careful, Joe. And it's true. It's like totally Joe Mannix being an old man. It was like watching a Slam Bradley uh, episode. It really was. There's a lot of a lot of symmetry between Slam Slam Bradley and uh, and Joe Mannix. Slam Bradley, there's a question for me. Are you going to bring him in uh, at all into the story? Uh, no current plans. I don't even know how old Slam Bradley is in current continuity. Is he still the old? No, no, no current plans for Slam. I should bring him back. Yeah. Bra- uh, just, uh, oh, you know, I, I didn't answer your question. I do. I love that. Yeah, the stuff with Darwin Brubaker too. It was amazing. Um, uh, I forgot to answer. So he asked if any Robins are coming. Night- yes. Nightwing is coming into the cave. Yes, indeed. I'm going to give me Dick and Bruce again for a little while. Uh, for the next few, I mean, the idea is, I mean, it's like such a simple idea, but it's like when you're, um, when you lose the love of your life, sometimes your best friend moves in with you to just sort of make sure you're okay. Sure. And, uh, and that's the idea that sort of Dick, Dick comes back to the cave just to make sure Bruce is, um, uh, okay. Bruce is okay. And I'm doing a, spe- a special sort of, if anyone who's sort of followed by run, I sometimes do these sort of spotlight issues on sort of one relationship like I did with the annual with uh, Bruce and Catwoman and I did with um, Superman and Batman. And I'm, I'm doing yep. one that's about Dick and Bruce and it's with Matt Wagner's doing the art for it. So Wow. Yeah. That, that's going to be an annual or just one of the it's issues? A one, it's issue 54. So, so 51 through 53 are Lee Weeks. They're the most beautiful comics you will buy all year. That's a guarantee. If you disagree with me, you may call me up and I'll send you a fucking check. 51 through 53 are the most beautiful comics you'll read all year. Uh, and, um, and with Lee Weeks with Elizabeth uh, Brightweiser doing the colors and lovely, lovely. And, uh, then 54 will be Matt Wagner's coming on to do a, a sort of spotlight issue on the relationship between, um, Bruce, Bruce and Dick. And the idea, I, I probably shouldn't tell you what it's about, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, the idea is, we're going to do sort of a parallel of um, of two two different time periods in Bruce's life, and one is going to be sort of that moment right after Dick's parents died, uh, when Bruce is sort of trying to get Dick to talk about what happened to him, and Dick kind of refuses. And then we sort of do a parallel of that of the opposite, where Dick is trying to get Bruce to talk about what happened, and so we sort of learn how the lessons of the father are passed to the son, kind of thing. So that's that's beautiful. With Matt, that's actually with, with Matt, so a one shot Bruce and Dick, and sort of they're 
getting way deep into their relationship with Matt Wagner drawing it. I, that's it's one of the issues I'm most proud of over the run. So hopefully, Matt is one of the, and I say this every time it comes up, one of the unsung great Batman creators. Oh, that the when he is when he is whether it's only art, but especially his retelling of those early Batman stories as he did them, uh, Trinity things like that. Oh. He is he just gets it, and I and I love Matt. Matt's Matt's was an early connection for me in my word balloon years and it was so flattering that he was willing to talk to me and it's it's been far too long since i've had him on i wanted to wait till mage uh finishes and uh mage and uh and yeah i'll I'll have matt back but no every every time matt is doing something i he has my full attention his spirit run run was great um everything he's done and it's always been a pleasure having Matt on on word balloon and he will be back yeah he's just he's an amazing storyteller yeah uh the I, I highly recommend I just read it again the Grendel Batman crossover it is not aged a bit and it is scary and brilliant yes if you're just looking for a great Batman story it's two issues long Grendel, the Grendel Batman crossover was was it only because there was the hunter story and then there was uh the and I forget her name the the female Grendel I, I, I maybe it, this is just part one that I read, but this was this is a complete story and two. It was two oversized issues, like two forty page issues. And he had uh, he had uh, Hunter's uh, skull in the Batcave as a trophy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which is awesome and creepy. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, I was going to say we've I think we've reached the three hour limit. If oh. you want to wrap up, I'm sure you're wiped out. That is very long. I'm sorry. But, I is there anything? Is, do you, are you do you want to wrap up? It's up to you, buddy. I mean, I, I want to let you. Is there anything else? Any more questions? We get them all. Um, we didn't get them all, but I, I think we got the the best ones. Uh, um, let's see here, because a lot of them were like uh, the backlash, you know, in terms of uh, you know uh, dealing with the spoilers that happened. Um, why did Bratman, Batman pray beside Joker in forty nine and say only Amen? And how did oh, and how did uh, Catwoman heal so fast <laughs> between issues forty nine and fifty? That's from uh, uh, Comic Boom, ladies and That's gentlemen. That's a great uh, from... question. I like that one. He prayed. This is he prayed beside him because uh, Batman, to his utter stupidity, and will never understand why respects every life, even Joker's life. So Joker put a gun to his head and said, I will kill myself unless you unless you sit down. And Batman had just watched Joker blow the head off of a woman and knew he was a little serious and a little crazy. And um, and to save Joker's life, why Batman wants to save Joker's life he's, is a, the deepest question in comics. But to save Joker's life, he did what he did temporarily. Now you say that's not the best Batman version of batman that's not the toughest version that's not the hardest version and yeah that's what i was trying to get across as he got closer and closer to this marriage he was becoming a little less and less batman um and uh why how how why was catwoman recovered by 50 that's because there was like um to me that in my mind there was like a six month gap between 49 and 50 i feel like the events of metal happened between that those two things oh interesting um I mean, we could put a caption there and said that, but I just didn't want to throw people off. But in my mind, there was a big six-month gap between those two issues. Very At cool. least how I wrote it. And now I had a, I had one other slightly interesting question, and I'm trying to find it now. Slightly I'm Here it is. <laughs> well, I don't know if you want to reveal this or not, and I don't know if it spoils the end of Mr. Miracle, but I'll ask it. Anyway. <laughs> I will not Daniel, reveal the end of Mr. Miracle. Of course not. There's only 
three people that know the end of Mr. Miracle. One of them is not made Mitch Garrett. So it's my editor, my wife, and me <laughs> know the end of Mr. Miracle. Uh, Daniel Gonzalez asks, will Mr. Miracles, he uh, put it in plural, uh, will his, or pardon me, this is because it, it is plural because he didn't put the apostrophe in there, will Mr. Miracles' trauma from his series be part of Hero in Crisis? Uh that is a good question, and it touches on the end of Mr. Miracles, so I can't answer it, but it's a great question. Also, wasn't Bug the Forager already dead? <laughs> Look, clearly something's going on in Mr. Miracle because it's in a continuity book, but it doesn't seem to match up with continuity. Yep. Now, does that mean that that's, there's a lot of options for that could be? Does that mean that Darkseid is manipulating him? Does that mean it's this Jacob's Ladder scenario where he just died in yep. the first one? Does that mean he's just gone crazy and he's bonkers and imagining the whole thing? Um, does that mean he's trapped in hell? Does that mean he's trapped in heaven? That's what the end of the book is about. I mean, there's, obviously there's a sure. there's a mystery here of why this doesn't add up to continuity, but the whole book is in continuity, and the fact that it's in continuity is important to that book. Excellent. All right. I'll, and again, this is why each time I read another chapter of Mr. Miracle, I have a, a good headache in terms of I have no idea what the hell's happening, but I'm really enjoying well, it. <laughs> I say that, people always say that like, I don't know what's going on. I think that refers to like I don't know whether this is a dream or not. You, right. you, you can ignore that aspect of the story and just focus on there's a war between Apocalypse and New Genesis and there's two yes. people who are in love. And that's what that's what's going on. That's the important part. Yes, but it's but it is all the window dressing that does make it interesting as well, and trying to crack the code here as as we go along. So no, De Tom, you're doing great. I'm very, and truly the reason why Brian and I talked about you for ten minutes at the beginning of the last podcast is we're just we're you know I and I'm sure Brian as a fellow writer appreciates what you're doing as someone who uh, was introduced to you by Tom Fowler, goddamn, ten years ago. Oh yeah, Fowler's the best. Fowler taught me how to write comics. Tom Fowler. Was, you know. Tom Fowler's now doing a Vertigo book, so um, uh, he's doing the Book of Magic. So read the shit out of that because Tom Fowler's one of the best storytellers in the history. Amen and long overdue. And I and I love uh, talking to him. He uh, Somni retweeted. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it. This great picture I had of Somni, Fowler, and Norton. Oh my goodness! And it's, I thought that was the same it, person. It's the three stages of man. It, it, that's. A, it's like Norton is the Norton's the caveman. Fowler's like, all right, we're slowly getting civilized, but not quite there yet. And, and then you got Somni, and Somni's like your modern man. He's so much tinier, but he looks more evolved. The first the <laughs> first time I met Fowler uh, was at New York Comic Con, two thousand twelve, thirteen, whatever. And uh, and we, you know, obviously chatted on the phone or whatever. And I was like, I want to meet you in person. Take you to dinner. He's like, great. I'll be an artist alley in the ILF. I was like, well, how, how do I know it's you? He's like, I have a beard. I was like, oh, great. So I'm an idiot. I didn't know. So I show up and like every single comic creator in 2012 has a beard. He does not mention that he's like a six foot ten giant man. That is clearly the most Tom Fowler part of Tom Fowler besides his genius is the fact that he's so super tall. And I was like, where is this beard? Oh, it's above me. <laughs> They are the uh, Norton and, and Fowler are like the Earth One and Earth Two versions of each other. Yes, I love that about them, and and they're great guys, and they they both make me laugh a lot every time I talk. Uh, to them. I got to work with Norton. He did the um, he did eight pages for Mister Miracle. Yes, uh, and that will that will appear. It was in the director's cut, and it's sort of a retelling of the origin of the story. And in the trade for Mister Miracle, which hopefully will be a forever trade, that will be the first eight pages that anyone who doesn't know the 
complicated history of the new gods gets a little Mike Nor- primer primer on it before the story starts. So yeah, so that, he's he's um, it was a pleasure to have him on the book, and it's kind of a fulfillment of thirteen years of knowing the dude. That's awesome, man. Thirteen and I, years, uh, yeah. Oh my god, I'm so thirteen years of what? Well, I, I'm freeing the first time I, I heard Norton like on the crank cast. Was that like thirteen years ago? I guess. <laughs> In 2006. Yeah. Oh my God, we're so old. Yeah, we're so old. I know, man. No, I know. Word balloon starting its 14th year, and I, uh, you know, the 24-hour podcast around comics, me and the, the Crankcast. Yeah, I remember all together. And Scotty and uh, Scotty's wife, Casey. It was, uh, yeah. That's those were the days. It's so funny. I, uh, I forget who I. Oh, I was telling Slot on the Spider-Man exit interview that, uh, uh, and I didn't name names, but I will now because it's no big deal. But Niesman, formerly of Around Comics, was with 11 O'Clock Comics for years. Of course. And they got into this very heated discussion about uh, Slot Spider-Man run. And, uh, and you know, Niesman's just like, well, it's another Spider-Man run, whatever. And the other three guys are just like, actually, it's really incredible. And you're obviously not reading it because when it's done, you're going to, you know, Dan is going to have to be part of the discussion of Roger Stern and, uh, you know, the other great Spider-Man writers, Bendis and others, in terms of... You know, well, if we really want to look at the entire, you know, oeuvre of, uh, of Spider-Man stories, it's like... A hundred percent. Yeah, man, he's got to be in the discussion, and, and you really have to examine what he put Peter through in a oh, hundred-plus issues. No, it's amazing. So, yeah, it was <laughs> it was really funny. And, you know, Dan was, Dan was sympathetic to Chris and everything, and rightfully so, and I didn't mean to put, you know, Chris on the spotlight, but it was kind of interesting. And it's like, no, actually, Chris, you're probably not paying attention, and that's okay. Nobody can read everything. But, uh, yeah, it was just really funny how the other three guys like, uh, actually, <laughs> Dan's really good. I would not be in comics today if it wasn't for Chris Neesman because Around Comics was my first podcast that drew me into comics. And yeah. it was my favorite podcast of all time. And I'm sad it doesn't exist anymore. Chris, Sal, and, oh, fuck, and Tom, Tom Caters, the brilliant, maybe the most brilliant pod, early, of all the early podcasters. He was the genius. Oh, it's funny as hell. He, you know, somebody online was talking about trying to find new comic book podcasts, and someone's like, "I really like this Jimmy Olsen podcast. It's got to be Tom's. It has to be." <laughs> yeah, because it, it was so funny how he. And then he went through the Flash as well. Yeah, and J- Tom versus and, the Flash and JLA and Tom versus JLA. Oh, that's right, Tom versus JLA. That's right. Crazy stuff. There you go. Podcast history. There you go. So, dude, as always, a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, John. You're still my favorite comic book podcast. I listen to you constantly. You're wonderful. That's very nice. And I I want to end because I don't do very many podcasts anymore. If you've listened for three fucking hours, you must be a very nice person. Thank you for supporting me. This was a tough week if you were a Tom King fan, and I cannot say how much I appreciate you put food on my children's table and just thank you listeners and thank you readers for doing it all I'm just I'm humbled by everything hey man you're doing great work keep the hits coming and uh, once uh, Heroes in Crisis uh, gets going maybe that'll be the time for a new uh, Tom King conversation (laughs) well I I, I hope so I hope that's any good if you've got time I, 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 I can tell you I'm proud of how it looks I don't know how it's written well, we're all excited for it. So now keep up the great work. And, and as always, thanks for playing tonight. <laughs> thanks, guys. Tom King, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, this was another uh, edition of Word Balloon Unconventional. That will continue through next week during Comic-Con. Uh, I'm releasing this on Friday. So if you're getting the later than Friday, you'll understand why I'm saying next week instead of this week. 
the hell's going on? Uh, more great uh, conversations, uh, some mock panels, if you will, with uh, some really interesting people that will be at Comic-Con. They have panels to talk about, but I wanted to give you that Comic-Con experience uh, through Word Balloon. I'm not going to be there this year. First one I've missed since 2009. How about that, man? Nine years straight. But that's okay. I'm going to go to Terrificon in uh, the fall, as I've said, or in August, excuse me, Mohegan Sun. Really looking forward to that. Just got the panels. I will tell you about those uh, in the uh, next episode. But uh, very excited about uh, what's coming in the days and weeks ahead right here on Word Balloon. I think you'll uh, be enjoying the conversations that are to come. Hope you enjoyed today's. It was brought to you by, again, the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your wonderful support through Patreon. Truly appreciate it. Uh, again, if uh, you would like to subscribe to Word Balloon, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Uh, retrace the steps of uh, the first 50 issues of Batman uh, by ordering some trades from instocktrades.com. You can get uh, I Am Suicide, Volume 2. Uh, it picks up after I Am Gotham, and uh, this is kind of the start of uh, what's going on with Bane and the Psycho Pirate and uh, Gotham Girl and the rest. Start uh, going through these like the Zapruder film. Volume 2 is uh, 42% off, $9.85. You can get the Rebirth Deluxe, uh, Deluxe uh, Collection, <laughs> easy for me to say, uh, Book 1. Uh, this is, uh, is it just um, the uh, collection of uh, I Am uh, Gotham? I'm looking here. No, it's the first 15 issues. So you get uh, Batman Rebirth number 1, and then Batman 1 through 15. So great 16 issue there of, there of uh, Batman... Uh, written by Tom King, David Finch doing the artwork. It's uh, and Michael Janine. It also collects, I guess. I am uh, 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 what is it? Volume two. I am suicide. Of course, I'm looking at it right now. So uh, check that out. It is um, 42% off, twenty dollars and twenty nine cents. I'd get through it eventually. Volume three. I am Bane. Continues the Bane story. Forty two percent off, nine dollars and eighty five cents. Uh, what else can you see here? Of course, the DC meets Looney Tunes including uh, the wonderful uh, story by Tom King and Lee Weeks uh, that uh, crosses uh, Batman and Elmer Fudd, but you also get Martian Manhunter and Marvin the Martian and Legion of Superheroes and Bugs Bunny. Very funny uh, Sam Humphrey story. Uh, all these are terrific, really. Uh, Lobo and Roadrunner. It is 42% off, $11.59. You can get the complete Sheriff of Babylon story, uh, Volume 1. Uh, this is the Deluxe Hardcover Edition. $23.19, 42% off. That's your price. You can also get uh, Batman Volume 5, Rules of Engagement, Rebirth. Uh, this uh, includes the Joel Jones art, uh, as mentioned before. But uh, pretty neat stuff. It is 42% off, $9.85. Check it out. It is all waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Lots more great deals waiting. If your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. These are my friends. They have a great bookstore. You will find great prices at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Uh, next week is San Diego Comic-Con, and as I said, lots of interesting uh, Word Balloon conversations next week. Uh, to uh, accompany you if you're going to be at San Diego. Uh, it will give you more fodder for uh, your travels uh, to and from San Diego and the con. We've already given you about five hours of uh, great conversation between Brian Bendis and Tom King in the last seven days. But uh, more to come. And uh, be, uh, be listening right here at wordballoon.com. Follow me on Twitter, at John Wordballoon. You can follow me on Facebook under my name, John Suntress. And uh, email me if you want, john at wordballoon.com. Thanks again for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.